Did you say what kind of animal it was that attacked her? So you understand it's some type of animal attack. Statistically, there's been more animal attacks, mysterious deaths, people gone missing. In other news, local authorities remain perplexed by the animal attacks. What attacked her in the woods? An animal. What else could it have been? Welcome back to It Was an Animal Attack, your home of the supernatural drama series. I'm Fadzai. And I'm Sandile. And today we will be discussing our Siren Sisters from Season 8, Sybil and Celine. Yay! A, a lot of S's there. A lot of, a lot of, what is it? Quite uh, a few. Sibylin? Sibylin, I, I was going <laughs> to, I have a very Sibylin S and so I'm very nervous to say <laughs> any names today. <laughs> but we're going to get through it. It's like a vocal warm-up. Sybil and Celine, the Siren sisters. Sent to sire the Salvatore brothers. Sent to sire the Salvatore brothers and steal souls. We got there. We got there at the end of the day. I took it too far. I <laughs> <laughs> Not far enough by the standards of the Vampire Diaries. As it turns out, you just Ooh. keep going and never stop. Even when you should. Oh boy, boy did it show. <laughs> so yeah, let's let's just dive right into it. Sybil and Celine are sirens. A very initially, you would think, exciting. It's the final season of Vampire Diaries. You know, it's time to just go big or go home. Or go big and go home. Uh-huh. And they finally introduce a new supernatural creature that we've never seen before at least that's what we think at first and that creature is a siren so in this world we have had various flavors of witch vampires werewolves and then we've had crossovers and hybrids between those three as well as ghosts who are just the spirits of one of those supernatural creatures or their combos and we've also had like you know um supernatural hunters like jeremy and then and then a medium who's a person who i guess dies their soul is somehow on the other side for a bit and then comes back it's it's unclear because <laughs> technically matt and jeremy don't go to the other side when they die they're human deaths so how they became mediums is not clear Matt is only ever a medium for the few episodes where Vicky is involved. It's it's a whole and thing. And just for Vicky, yeah. The more prominent, at least at first, of the Siren Sisters is a character named Sybil. She is introduced technically at the end of season seven. Yeah, there's a lot of talk at the end of season seven about that vault and this existential evil that exists in the vault that's so horrific that they can't even speak its name. There's this quote that I don't remember her name, but she's a St. John. She's one of the St. Johns that pop up at the end of season seven. <laughs> I think it's Virginia. <laughs> it's her Virginia St. John. She says, it's not a who or a what, it's what it does to you. And I remember my sisters and I like ruminating over this phrase and thinking how utterly stupid that sounds when you think about it for longer <laughs> than five seconds. Especially when at the end of the day you learn it is in fact a who and a what. So what the hell were they talking about? I don't know. This happens between seasons. So who knows what they might have changed between the end of season seven and the start of season eight where we actually get into the meat of this character. Yeah, it is notable though, like one informed the other, but I don't know in which direction. But you say this is the first time we get like a whole and original supernatural creature that isn't like a hybrid of the three existing archetypes. And it's interesting that this season also serves as a launch pad for legacies. And I'm curious if they 
had already planned in their minds that like we're gonna do legacies where we just expand the world to include every supernatural creature under the sun all of a sudden (laughs) though they haven't been mentioned by like immortal characters who are long lived or if they did the siren because someone just decided let's do sirens and then after that we're like hey now that we've opened this door we can do anything Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I I have a lot to say about the execution of just sirens as a supernatural creature that's introduced. But before I do that, we'll quickly run through what it is they do in the season. They do a lot, but also nothing. <laughs> so, so accurate. So season eight starts uh, basically where season seven left off. Damon and Enzo have released this mysterious creature that was trapped in the armory and are seemingly under its thrall. Bonnie is magicless because that has to happen once every three seasons of this damn show. Alaric and Caroline are raising his twin daughters that are biologically Joes but were birthed through her vampire body because that's possible now. They think of her as their mother, they call her mom. It's this cute little family with parents who aren't married or in a relationship. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. There was a brief moment in season seven where (laughs) it looked like... It was close for a second there. I, ooh, we should save that probably for another episode. We will episode, save that. We, we, oh, oh, it was, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so that's what's happening. Caroline is a very busy woman. She's a working mom. She's like a, a news anchor, I believe, while Alaric is working at the armory. I don't know where Alaric gets his money from because he was a history teacher. Then he was literally and legally dead for several years then he was a college professor which i'm like okay he was the enhanced original at that point maybe he compelled his way into that job that seemingly just stopped once they moved away from the college setting and now he's working with the armory well from something he says and it may have been like a cover story line to one of his new interns at this armory he mentions that he has tenure so it's possible that like for whatever reason, the Whitmore College is perfectly happy to fund him as an occult studies professor to like study this quote archaeological find in the vault, right? They have all these artifacts that they're cataloging. He's got st- actual students working for him. So it seems to be they're getting some kind of credit for this. So I think he still has his professor job. Okay, so he is he is still Professor Saltzman. Okay, that's good. That, at least at least that tracks. Possibly, I think so. He's got the students working for him, uh Dorian who becomes a recurring character or a main character in Legacies, I think. Haven't watched all of it. Good for him. And Georgie, who is too flirty for comfort sometimes. <laughs> oh, man. I think it's safe at the end of the day, but it's, it isn't played concerningly enough for me. Like, there's a moment where it seems like Rick is considering it. He makes a joke about her being a temptress, and I'm like, sir, that girl is half his age. <laughs> And is your student. I mean, don't piss me off. How old is Rick? I don't know how old Rick is. Rick, is... post-time jump has to be like late that he's at this point. And these are like undergrads, postgrads. I don't know. I'm not sure. The I... age is only an additional access to what is already an imbalanced power dynamic yeah. when this person has control over your yeah. grade. That's yeah. the problem. But I mean, she's she's the one flirting with him. So it's like, girl, you should also not be flirting with your educator who's kind of your boss. Like, this, is, this is inappropriate. <laughs> but much like Caroline, he does have a full-time job. So he is busy most of the day. And they have hired a nanny to look after the kids. A sweet young woman. Uh, it's the CW. So obviously she's conventionally attractive and beautiful. <laughs> she's very good with the kids. And 
her name is Celine, which, yeah. Yeah, that should be the first. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we were meant to pick up anything on that. For those of you who don't know, Celine uh, is a Greek name. It comes from Selene, which was the personification of the moon in Greek mythology. What else comes from Greek mythology? Sirens. (laughs) And that is essentially the closest connection that season 8 will give you between their take on Sirens and actual and like real myth. life mythological sirens. It's just the name Celine. It's the name Celine, and then I guess it's a vague association with bodies of water. Because meanwhile, Damon and Enzo have spent the summer murdering people. Well, not personally murdering people. Sorry, capturing people with compulsion, bringing them back to this creepy little warehouse and dumping them in this murky body of water where they are being fed to something. It's meant to be an an enigma. The only criteria for who they're going after seems to be they're going after people who are bad, people who are quote-unquote evil, which in the Vampire Diaries universe, I mean, that's that's basically the entire human population. Sliding scale. uh, (laughs) It it could be anyone. But yeah, they're compelling people and questioning what's the worst thing you've ever done in your life. And then by whatever metric they've determined, (laughs) if it's bad enough, they're getting roped in to be fed to this sub-aquatic creature (laughs) that they've got in this warehouse. It was pretty creepy initially. Like, it's that thing of before the reveal, it's scarier because your imagination is filling in whatever gaps you personally would find the scariest from what we see damon has already given up and turned off his humanity because you know he can't deal being mind controlled and being made to kill bad people even though damon has killed innocent people before so i don't know why this is weighing so heavily on his conscience yeah it's i <laughs> it is framed as this and it'll pass through the rest of this the season but it's framed as though he's done it to make the process easier for him. But like you say, Damon has never had qualms about killing people innocent or guilty. And really, it's to shield himself from the idea of Elena's gonna wake up one day and find out what he's done and hate him for it. That's what he's hiding from by switching off his humanity. It's always the Elena (laughs) of it all, you know? It's always, I have to be good because otherwise Elena's not gonna be happy. And I'm like, can you imagine how dangerous Damon would be if Elena was a bad person? (laughs) Or like a worse person? (laughs) I thought you were gonna say, can you imagine how, how dangerous Damon would be if Elena wasn't like the symbol of his restraint. Yes, Damon in season one and two. (laughs) (laughs) And Damon in season seven. Also, it's hilarious that like, we open season eight and Damon has already switched on his humanity. Enzo's clearly having no issue fighting whatever mind control is happening, at least in some Yeah, he's... He's got his humanity on still. He's having slight problems, but it seems that he, and Damon to an extent, they found a way to sort of shield parts of their subconscious from this creature that seems to have a psychic hold over them. I did enjoy the psychicness of it all because um in as much as we've we've seen mind control many, many times in this universe. We've seen it through vampires, we've seen it through Silas, we've even seen witches be able to enchant people and exact some form of mind control over them with spells. But I did enjoy that this one was very like I almost want to say like X Many. <laughs> like Interesting. direct telepath like digging through your thoughts like Damon is telling Enzo that he needs to also turn off his switch because this creature is going to know if he's hiding anything from it but at the same time Damon is sort of within his mind clinging to this idea of Elena almost as if it's like this tether that he can still have to possibly lead himself back if and when the chance presents itself whereas Enzo 
is clinging to Bonnie, but has hidden that memory away by just not thinking about her. Like he's refusing, he's compartmentalizing, like he's not letting his mind go there. And it, it was just reminding me of all the various ways that in Marvel Comics with the X-Men, who have a lot of telepaths in their universe, people have found various ways to like dodge telepathy through like mental techniques. Yeah. Eventually, eventually after feeding it horrible people for, I guess, an entire summer, the creature has fed enough and it climbs out of the water to reveal the form of a beautiful young woman who is named Sybil. She only introduces herself by name much later on. I think she spends an entire episode like chilling with Damon and Enzo before she says her name. But once she climbs out of the water, she does explain that she's a siren, yes? Or... I don't think the word siren is said until Bonnie and Rick are doing like research on their own end. Oh, Because yes. they've encountered Damon and Enzo, I guess, out in the wild on their spree. I think Bonnie, from her interaction with Enzo, has gathered some like details of what's happened to them. They can see they're being controlled somehow. They're refusing to say certain things. And from that and the research that Rick is doing in the vault, the like items that they're finding, the books they're reading through, they surmise that it might be a siren yes. who is controlling. But somehow, them. coincidentally, Bonnie and Enzo had been discussing the siren's in the in the odyssey from greek myth like yes before all she of this was had gone down enzo had been reading her the odyssey that's <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing to me they cut to a flashback of enzo just reading bonnie the odyssey it's like hmm, convenient yeah i was like that's the thing enzo now <laughs> likes greek okay that's fine that's fine enzo's suddenly a well-read gentleman even though as we established in the Lily episode <laughs> he was like a poor toodle pip on the streets of london i guess he's had like a hundred years since to read well up. he was in, in the augustine labs for so long so i don't know what's her face must have read to him oh the um, nurse who's the lady maggie yeah. Was her name Ma- I, I, I yeah, might have made I that up. Know. I don't know what her name was. Yeah. So Enzo's, Enzo's reading Bonnie the Odyssey and he's talking about sirens using an enchanting voice to mind control people and lure them to their depths um, on this island. Lure sailors to the rocks to dash their ships. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's like, oh, Damon and Enzo are being mind controlled by something. So yeah, it, it, it makes sense. And also, I think at that point, we had heard this weird wailing musical sound around them whenever they were inside this warehouse. There's enough clues to put it together before the characters. Yeah. Bonnie and Stefan, because, you know, Enzo and... Oh, for, for, for those who might have forgotten, lucky you. Bonnie is with Enzo at this point. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. fully-fledged, ride-or-die, love of her Three life. Three solid years together. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Bonnie and Stefan are trying to track down Damon and... Enzo, I can only assume that in the Vampire Diaries world, right, real human crime, as well as all the other supernatural vampires who might exist as rippers or newbie vamps who lack self-control, I can only assume that they are all really well-behaved or very discreet because every time in this show that someone is on a bender and needs to be tracked down, they'll be like, oh, there's this trail of dead bodies from plot point a to point b that i've been tracing so i know it's them i know it's this person i'm looking for and they're always right there couldn't possibly be another vampire in this part of chicago it must be damon and Enzo. or a human it's like, or, or a human committing atrocities i'm like there are regular murderers too <laughs> the vampire diaries version of the united states has got to be the safest version of america i've ever seen in fiction <laughs> 
now it's not a trail of bodies it's like all these missing persons reports which is even worse because i'm like at any given point there are so many missing people in the united states they figure out that this must be damon and enzo and bonnie starts to notice that enzo has been leaving little clues here and there and in one instance they actually leave a body and the body is strung to the hood of a car <laughs> with guitar string Oof. that Bonnie recognizes as Enzo's guitar string. I don't know how she does that. Listen, she. <laughs> I don't consistently play, but I have played guitar since I was 12. I don't think I could tell you. If a guitar string I found in the wild was from the guitar I own right now, I honestly don't think I could tell you that. Maybe there's some hardcore musicians out there who are like, I tune my shit every day. I know the exact layout and tension of my six strings. I couldn't tell you. Bonnie was like, that's my man's string. I know it is. And you know what? Maybe that's love. Maybe, maybe. It is crazy that, I mean, The Vampire Diaries has a significant amount of violence, but it's like there's a lot of almost Saw-esque violence in this season from Damon and Enzo's antics. Oh, yeah. Even in the warehouse where they're feeding Sybil, they're stringing these people's bodies up on, like, hooks and trusses while they're still alive. It's really messed up. Lowering them, screaming into the water. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. I mean, I have a I have a bone to pick with Sybil because that warehouse was also full of, like, not-eaten human remains. And I was like, how much is she eating? If, like, a whole arm is lying there, kind of she's, wasteful, she's wasting food. Sybil, yeah. like... <laughs> And the thing is, we're told that she's feeding to, like, repair herself. She had been locked in the armory for all these decades, like, I think over a, over a century. And she needs to feed to, like, fix herself up before she gets on with whatever it is she wants to do. And I'm like, but if repairing yourself is so important, why are you leaving certain body parts? Like, Yeah, surely you need that extra arm. I feel like that would give you, like, an extra layer of skin. Because we see a glimpse of, of her hand, I think, through the water at some point before she comes out, like, fully formed as natalie kelly gorgeous peruvian australian actress but she's got like haggard skin and clawed fingers and it's like maybe that would go a lot faster if you ate all the arms you dropped yeah yeah <laughs> i mean their form is another interesting issue that i have with the sirens but yeah, we'll get to that we'll we'll, we'll, get, we'll to get to what they look like in a moment but in this initial episode one of the other things that happens is virginia st john enzo's distant cousin descendant thing from the previous season <laughs> don't shows worry up. about it it's not a big deal She's it's a not that it's important. a whole thing she shows up at caroline's house where rick and the twins are living with her and attacks celine the babysitter while the twins are upstairs playing hide and seek it's very cleverly presented like oh celine is this you know helpless human who has <laughs> been attacked and celine is on the phone with her and mentions that the door is open and that someone's in the house and Caroline vamp speeds home. It's really lovely. I'm like, yeah, who needs a car? Like you, you can you run super at superhuman speed. speeds. <laughs> run home and protect your kids. She gets there, and Virginia St. John has already stabbed and wounded Celine. Caroline manages to save her with her blood, and then she interrogates Virginia, trying to compel her to get answers out of her but virginia chews off her own tongue listen that bitch is committed <laughs> at which point i was like is she being mind controlled why would she do that because 
if I remember correctly, Virginia's the one who was in... It was like a home or like an asylum or something with Bonnie, right? Yeah. There is this implication that Virginia has some mental issues, right? It's exacerbated by the fact that like she's been part of this family that's been combating this threat and protecting the world from this threat for so long. So there is this sense that she is incredibly committed to like serving out the principles of the St. John family. She seemed intent on not letting the sirens get out. So I don't think that would be the siren's mind controlling her. That's the vibe I got. Well, she was too little too late because <laughs> both sirens were already out. And I, I find it funny that Caroline saves Celine and then compels her to take the twins out for ice cream and like not come back for a while. And when you look at that in retrospect, you're like, so Celine was faking Playing along. the whole time. She would not have been killed by those injuries no. <laughs> because we later on learn that in this universe, sirens, well, the two sirens who exist are immortal. And she, as a supernatural creature, can't be compelled because that's the canon mm -hmm. of the Vampire Diaries universe, that vampires cannot compel any other supernatural creatures except for originals who can compel regular vampires and hybrids. And I assume heretics if they'd ever met one. Assumedly. Uh, well... I don't know, because... Maybe their witch side would protect them? Yeah, exactly, because witches inherently... Well, but then they're siphons, not witches. But they're still supernatural. Oh, that's curious. Yeah. We've never had an a... original run into a siphon is the thing. The originals are well and truly gone from the Vampire Diaries by the time any of that shit starts up. Because the last time you see an original is season 5, the first time you see a siphon is season 6. I will say that we know that the hybrids are part werewolf, and werewolves who, are, who have triggered their curse cannot be compelled by any kind of vampire. But Michael compels the hybrids and tells Klaus that your hybrids are half vampire, and yeah. therefore they can be compelled by me. So I have to assume that that means heretics can be compelled. Yeah, that's a safe extrapolation. Celine feigns compulsion and then goes off because I guess she's just a really good actress. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Mystic Falls is full of them. And Virginia manages to unalive herself. And it's just like, if you were so committed to beating the sirens, why did you think you being deceased would help that? You clearly had information that would have helped the Mystic Falls gang who have no reason to be in league with the sirens. They could have been allies. Especially because at this point, you know the vault is open, right? That's why she came to attack the twins, because they used the twins in season seven to open the vault. And I guess she thought by killing them, it would reseal it? I don't know what her plan was. That's what I'm saying of like, I don't think she was necessarily in her right mind, Virginia St. John. So a lot of what she does is very like irrational. Fair. And also just like narratively is only there to serve as a drama up of the severity the significant threat posed by the fact that the sirens here the stakes are quite high this season no pun intended no. Um, well maybe a little uh, <laughs> meanwhile alaric and his horny student no. his horny intern georgie <laughs> get out are um digging through this these underground tunnels in the armory which i'm like didn't we already do the underground tunnel thing previously with the whole backstory of the originals and the werewolves of Mystic Falls and whatever, but it's fine, whatever. There's this weird thing going on where there's sort of a, a doorway within the rock itself that can only be accessed if you deprive yourself of all your senses except your sense of touch. They have to use like noise cancelling headphones and a blindfold to get through. At this stage, Georgie is the, the intern who is primarily working with Alaric, while Dorian is always like, 
off in the other room doing other things. Dorian fully disappears for about six episodes. And <laughs> if you're asking yourself, listener at home, is he the black one? Yes, he is. <laughs> so, <laughs> not much more to be said there. He ultimately fares better than Georgie because he gets Georgie into legacies is... and Georgie's dies. Georgie's, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you make it to legacies, hey, you got out better than a lot of people from Vampire Diaries and the originals. Is that a win though? Like, are you, are you really <laughs> better off? So it's a win. Like living to be a hundred is a win. It's like, well done. Nothing killed you, but also now you're decrepit. You're in constant <laughs> this, chronic pain, <laughs> and everything scares you. Uh, to any of our listeners who might be a hundred, we apologize. Uh, we, we respect you. you for making it this far. Centenarian. Yeah, well done. So Georgie, she's one of those characters who is introduced in the Vampire Diaries and serves as an integral sort of exposition to something that's going to be important that season. Mm. But she isn't around for very long. That happens a lot in this show. On the Damon and Enzo end, Damon has been psychically informed by the siren that he and Enzo are apparently destined for some sort of eternal torment for the things that they have done, which is scaring Damon enough that he's like, yeah, as long as I serve this creature, I hold off said torment. So for the time being, I'm happy to do that, even though I know what I'm doing is bad. Yeah, I will do anything and everything to avoid consequences for what I've done. I will kill anyone <laughs> on Earth. And abandon all my so-called friends so I don't suffer in hell. And Georgie tells Alaric after they discover a nifty-looking symbol in all the archaeological finds that they're dealing with. Primarily from the St. John family, who are Enzo's family, for those of you who have forgotten. Lord knows I forgot that Enzo even had a surname. Georgie, while she, when, when she's not flirting with Alaric, she tells him that this symbol that they've discovered, she's seen it before. They find it on a metal structure which initially they believe to be some sort of a, a prong alaric assumes that it has something to do with like ancient what do you do with this the soil not not plowing plowing the soil tilling the soil i don't yeah, know yeah tilling the soil it's a fork it's like a. it's a fork we're burying the lead because they say that but the payoff in that scene is the implication that it might be like the devil's trident yeah, it, it might be the devil's little fork, his, his creepy little trident, stolen from the myths of Poseidon, I might add. Because something we haven't mentioned is that in Rick and Barney's research early on about sirens, they have become convinced that sirens are messengers of the devil. Which Oh yeah, that is just that's just thrown in there. Like they're they're reading myths that seem to be rooted in real life stuff, and all of a sudden it's like they were messengers of the devil, and I was like mm. Which devil? The Judeo-Christian devil? I... <laughs> In ancient Greece? What are you talking we'll about? We'll get to it. We'll, 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 okay. we'll get to the weird handling of sirens. Georgie discovers on this fork-like pronged structure a, a, a symbol which she recognizes. She has a tattoo of it on her body. As she's revealing it to Alaric, he freaks out and he's like, Whoa, you've been coming on strong before. <laughs> But now you're about to show me a tattoo that looks like it's in an intimate area, and I don't want this. For being responsible and professional, <laughs> I've done all I can. She's like, calm down, you old lech. I'm just showing you this professionally important tattoo. On her upper hip. Mm. <laughs> and it's the symbol that she says she saw in her mind one time when she was clinically dead for a few minutes apparently she had been drinking she and her friend when she was a couple of years younger 
Uh, she then decided to drive, which you should never do to our listeners at home. Do not drink and drive. Do Some of you are like, oh, I'm, I'm fine driving when I'm drunk. No, you're not. No matter how bad or good a driver you are, you are worse when there is liquor in you. The good driver you think you are does not exist once you're under the influence. As a country, <laughs> our statistics are abhorrent when it comes to Ooh. alcohol abuse and drunk driving. So, especially in the coming festive season, do not drink and drive. Bring for an Uber or get someone to be your designated sober driver. Hitch a ride. Stay <laughs> over at a friend's house. Just like, come on, guys. Because this is what might happen if you drink and drive. Georgie got into a car accident. Her friend was killed in the brief moments where she herself was clinically dead. She said that she saw hell. She had a vision of this place of torment and hellfire and suffering and loneliness and pain and she knew she deserved it because of the horrible things she had done being irresponsible and getting her friend killed which i'm like i mean in, in my personal opinion i mean so was, that's the uh, thing <laughs> and i, I do want to say i feel like i'm remembering her saying because i do believe you that she was drunk driving but i think she said she was texting she was texting which you also shouldn't do while driving right <laughs> Either way, criminal negligence, manslaughter, etc., etc. But then you sort of go, hell? For that? Yeah. What's the metric, my guy? What's the bar? <laughs> In her mind, yes. her personally believing that she deserved hell, I'm like, okay, I can understand why you would think that. You feel terrible. I get it. But we later on learned that this was not just a vision she was literally spiritually briefly in hell yep. and that's how the mechanics of this universe work and it's like hmm, I don't that know. doesn't seem fair but she tells Alaric that when she woke up when she was resuscitated the only thing she could really remember was this image that she had seen while she was there and so she got it tattooed onto herself and has been spending her life trying to make amends because she's convinced that if she doesn't atone for her sins when she dies she will go back to that awful place do you remember how long ago well i guess it doesn't matter because she's human so it's it doesn't hinge on when the other side was destroyed or not as a human you would either go to peace or assumedly to hell yeah so i have to then assume given how frequently and it's not like a high number but there is a frequency of people who are clinically dead and then brought back are all those people walking around or at least of those people, those who, quote, deserve to go to hell, are they walking around with a psychic imprint of, like, a brief second that they spent in the fires of hell? And they're just, like, moving through life with the same experience that Georgie is. Perhaps. I mean, every, everyone's different. They might not read into it as much as she did. Yeah. Uh, they might be like, oh, I, I, I had a vision while my brain was going through trauma. I don't believe in that stuff or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, based on stuff we'll get to later, it seems there's an aspect of it that it, like, drums up guilt in you. Or, I guess, is the implication if you're someone who feels like, eh, I, I don't feel a level of guilt where I think I'm going the hell i don't know it gets a bit murky i imagine someone like kai if he had gone through that experience would be perfectly fine <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. it ties back to sybil who is seemingly echoing the nonsense that bonnie and uh, alaric have found in quote unquote real life greek folklore about sirens being messages of the devil she tells damon and enzo that that's exactly what she is and 
she begins to sense that hmm, my control over you two is not as whole as I would like it to be. She can tell that Enzo is keeping something from her, even though she doesn't address it immediately. She can also sense that even Damon is not as obedient as he could be. There's some aspect of himself that he's keeping from her mind control. She digs around in Enzo's mind and Enzo either unintentionally or I guess making this person a sacrificial lamb because he doesn't want Sybil to find out about Bonnie. So she digs around in Enzo's mind trying to find, oh, what are you keeping from me? I feel like you care about something or someone and you're trying to keep me from knowing what it is. And then the name Sarah Nelson slips out of his no i think you had it right the first time i think she's a sacrificial lamp i think he presents sarah nelson as a distraction from bonnie to be like this is who i'm thinking well of. that's not fair <laughs> in his mind it was like okay i'll present sarah nelson and then we'll go after sarah nelson and that'll rope in the mystic falls gang to hopefully do something but at the same time he sold out sarah nelson <laughs> This innocent woman who was just living her own life. I, I had forgotten that Damon was not aware of Sarah's existence at that point. Thanks to Stefan's fervent and long-suffering efforts <laughs> that all go up in smoke in this episode. Because they managed to find Sarah. Somehow Enzo, does he contact the Mystic Falls gang? I have to assume they're tracking the trails of bodies again or the trails of missing people or whatever. And when they recognize the area they're moving in, Stefan instinctually goes, that's where Sarah Nelson is? I think it must have been something like that. He knew that Enzo knew of her. Exactly. Well, more than knew, Enzo had been harassing her <laughs> for like most of season six and a little bit of season seven. And then he just got over her and just like left her alone and never told Damon about her, which I guess Stefan was like, okay, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah, I'm not going to quit. I've got enough going on. Stefan, Caroline and Bonnie go to find Sarah at the I guess, university Quick campus where she's she now is, living. Yeah. Apparently she had lived quite a life of luxury before but once she found out that that was all because of Stefan's machinations she like gave up the trust that he had set aside for her and I was like no girl take this white man's money <laughs> girl don't I understand the instinctual pride bullshit you've got spinning in your head take the white man's money use it use it I don't care if it's blood money use it it's literally her family's money though like it's money that Stefan shouldn't even have been alive to inherit right like, it should be her rightfully it's reparations frankly for what was done to your mother <laughs> and also the thing that pisses me off is that like that all is true and also at the same time Stefan did pretty right by her and all of enzo's machinations have now messed up what might have been a positive relationship yes. if Stefan had ever been like, I'm in a place in my life where there's no darkness, there's no danger. I feel comfortable approaching this girl and being like, here's where you come from. Here's our family. Enzo messes all of that up the moment he goes to find Sarah Nelson in season six. So it sucks that now she's like, ah, screw Stefan Salvatore and his money. And it's like, girl, he's been taking care of you your whole life. He's actually really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and what is wild is that when Stefan shows up trying to help her, the thing she says is, oh no, I don't trust you. I'm not going anywhere until Enzo says that it's okay. <laughs> Because he's the one who's been honest with me. He's the one I can believe uh, in your little circle of friends. And I'm like, girl, I think you need to watch this show. I want to throw something. 
Listen, I'll say this. I like Enzo at least a little bit in season 8. I'm pissed off by a lot of things, but season 8 Enzo is oddly tolerable. I think just by virtue of being Bonnie's boothing, he becomes like a little bit more tolerable this season. So lucky for him. Yeah, because that's really all he's there to do in that season. All he's got going on. better for it. Yeah. Eventually, they do manage to convince Sarah to get while the getting's good because Enzo tells her the siren and Damon are coming here to kill you. I think Enzo has managed to. Did he? Did he neck snap Damon? He like smoke screens them somehow. They're in the general area, like spinning up and searching, but I can't remember how he gets away from them. I think Sybil seemingly wasn't with them. Like, she she didn't seem to be right next to them at the point. So it's Damon that he gives the slip to. They meet up with Sarah, and they tell her to pack her bags and go. And I guess she finally believes it because, you know, Enzo's the one telling her. (laughs) But unfortunately, Damon recovers fast enough that that doesn't work. Bonnie shows up and tries to get Enzo away, which I'm like, Bonnie, why? Like, we... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that was a mess. Enzo has been telling you that all of this is so that the siren can't make use of the information that she can get from controlling him. He never said he was free. That was a whole ass mess. She's driving away with him and he's like, girl, what are you doing? (laughs) She's still in my mind. There's nowhere we can go where she won't find me. Bonnie's like, I don't care. I want to be selfish for once. And you know what? I get it. I get it. I don't like that that was the time she finally chose to be selfish. I was like, Bonnie, you left Stephanie and Caroline behind with a mind control demon and a mind controller whose abilities you don't even fully understand yet and you just you were like eh I've got my boyfriend let's go yeah I was like okay so Damon shows up and disables Caroline by staking her in the back and he puts the stake in a, a spot that she can't quite reach. These people need to learn to be more flexible because so many <laughs> times they've been staked in that small section of your back but you can't really reach with your own hands if you're not that flexible. It's and I'm like, I guys, break at this some point. Bones, bitch. It's time to pull <laughs> yes. Stephen Amell, Oliver Queen, like like Oh yeah, they have twist. healing factors anyway. So they could yeah. like dislocate something dislocate and dislocate a shoulder, reach back there, relocate it afterwards you're fine he grabs her daylight ring and like tosses it down the hallway and then she's trapped because there's like this little rectangle of sunlight coming through the window of the hallway and i'm like caroline <laughs> you could vamp speed past this you'd burn for like two seconds elena and went through heal. like I don't... proper a whole window of sunlight in season five or six and was fine she did it <laughs> enough to burn kai with the fire that was actively on her arm i think you'll be okay care <laughs> So it's just Stefan and Sarah in the room. And then Damon comes in and threatens to kill her and finally gets the truth of who she is and how she's related to them. And Stefan tries to tell Damon, oh, Damon, I know you're going through this thing right now where you think every bad decision you've ever made is finally coming back to haunt you. And you're going to go to hell unless you work for this evil siren. But the worst thing, and here we go again with pretending that the worst thing Damon ever did was kill a pregnant woman. I'm like, I think he's done. It's pretty bad. So much worse. (laughs) Also, the implication that Damon cares about that. Well, he he seems to consider it the worst thing he's ever done. He does, uh, Damon does. Mentioned it. Or Stefan does. Yeah, Damon does. Da- Damon and Stefan seem to consider it the worst thing Damon's ever done. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't... Because I remember when Damon reveals it to Elena in a few seasons prior, like, he's so ashamed of it, and he thinks that, oh, you just... Despite all the bad things Elena knows about me, this one is, like, really, really bad. And even Elena's like, Damon, did you kill a pregnant woman? And I'm like, <laughs> girl. Girl what? Girl. He's massacred people. Damon had a sexual relationship with your friend while she was under yes. mind control. He assaulted. 
assaulted your friend. He killed your brother. He killed your boyfriend's best friend. What are you talking about? You killed a pregnant woman. He murdered Vicky for fun. For fun! <laughs> I told you, Elena's a good Christian woman. That unborn baby was worth more than any of those people. <laughs> a pregnant woman? The cardinal yes. sin. I mean, Damon went around killing all these various Whitmores over the decades who had never done anything to him, like Aaron's entire family, traumatizing generations of people by essentially orphaning them, then leaving them alive long enough to reproduce and like make the family tree branch out more before decimating them again Jesus. in a few generations. But we're going to act like, oh, the worst thing he's ever done in his own mind and everyone else's mind is murdering a woman who had an unborn child in her. It's not even the <laughs> woman herself whose life matters. It's the fact that there was an unborn child in her. And this is the thing too, the implication, right? Because you could argue it's not about the, the virtue of a pregnant woman or whatever, because what does Damon care? I guess the implication is that she was connected to their family because she was uncle, well, uncle Zach, but like their distant nephew, Zach Salvatore's like partner. It was Zach's unborn child, which is Sarah Nelson, if we haven't made that clear. Yeah. It, the implication is that because it's a connection to family. Damon doesn't care. Damon killed Zach. Damon killed Damon Zach, killed Zach himself one. with his bare hands so, without flinching. Without flinching. Just to get out of his house. So why would Damon kill him? I don't know. Oh, Damon didn't give a damn. But Stefan is assuring him that, look, here is Sarah Nelson, whose birth name, I guess, was Sarah Salvatore, and she's alive. The, the thing you think is the worst thing you've ever done didn't really happen, so I guess that now means you don't deserve hell? I don't know what yeah, that Yeah, that now means you're actually a good person the whole time. <laughs> Amazingly, he actually manages to get through to Damon, and Damon is like, okay, yeah, it's fine. Sarah Salvatore, run away. Don't let me ever catch your ass again. Like... <laughs> Leave while I'm still in a good mood. Right, right. <laughs> but unfortunately, she opens the door and suddenly Sybil is there, having followed Damon and Enzo to this campus. She stabs Sarah Salvatore in the gut, yeah. fatally wounding her. And then as Stefan vamp speeds over to her to give her some healing vampire blood, Sybil mind controls him to mm -hmm. not do anything, to just stand still and... <laughs> Start singing with her singing with her humming. They rarely sing. They don't She's sing. Humming. They hum. They vocalize. It's dubbed over and like mixed with what I can assume is someone else's voice. Mm. I'm like, it's fine. I don't expect you to cast a singing actress yeah, for a siren role, but doesn't really require that much it's singing. Not that it's, big whatever. A deal. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I will say though, when, when when Sybil sings, Sybil in general is like she's such a almost like campy character yeah she feels very not out of place necessarily but she's in stark contrast to everything else that's going on around her she feels like a character out of like out of a desperate housewives <laughs> or a gossip girl something like high camp high drama where she's giving this like really airy performance of like a rich bitch you know she like name drops i don't know what it is it's just like her performance is giving high camp and so when she starts doing these mm, these like harmonized singing vocals i'm like this is insane <laughs> what's going on here it's crazy. In contrast, Celine is doing a very grounded, normal performance. Celine feels like she fits into this show. And Sybil's just her own thing. And I think it's ludicrous and wonderful. <laughs> Sybil is that heightened text villain that the show enjoys having in different ways. Mm. Whether it's Klaus who can, you know, 
go into a murderous rage if you say one wrong thing to him or it's Kai being this really affable but clearly insane serial killer. I think by then the show was just like, you know what, we like having fun cartoonish villains in different ways. Now we're just going to have this girl who's basically a high school mean girl, but but Siren. <laughs> who's like an, a foreign model if she was a high school mean girl, but also she she almost has like a mimosa in her hand, just like metaphorically speaking. <laughs> so like, what's going on? She's, she's quite sadistic. On a show with a lot of sadism, she's sadistic. She makes Stefan watch the life drain out of Sarah, knowing that he could save her if she would let him. It's so sad. It's sad. Because he tried so hard for decades to protect her. She was so important to Stefan that even when he was deeply in love with Elena, mm. you know, if we consider everything canon. Yeah, if we have to track it back. He never told her about Sarah. Never once. Yeah. Never told anyone and never intended to. Like, may- maybe Lexi knew? I don't know. It's painful to watch. And then... Sybil can see that Damon feels a little bit bad. So then she's like, let's fix that. I don't like how you've been you've been acting like Enzo is the problem with the child. Meanwhile, you also haven't finished your homework. So let's... <laughs> the way she speaks in eggs, and it's not new, but it's, again, her performance colors it so well. She speaks like she's the only person, like real person on Earth. And everyone else is just like NPCs that are there at her work. She's like... <laughs> I don't appreciate you having thoughts, emotions, and agency, okay? That is not what I hired you for. (laughs) She starts going in and doing psychic surgery. (laughs) Literally digs around inside his psyche, finds this memory of Elena that he's been replaying in his subconscious every time he feels like Selena's getting a bit too much control over him. It's the night that they met, which was retconned into, what was it, season three? Shout out Lord Huron. The night we met. <laughs> <laughs> Not the theme for 13 uh, Reasons. Uh, <laughs> so it's that night where Damon met Elena that he then compelled out of her mind just hours before she went off the Wickery Bridge. And Celine edits it out so that she's the person that Damon now sees. <laughs> Not Celine, Sybil, sorry. Sybil? No, um, yeah. She, she photoshops herself so in gonna, like tic- TikTok stitch. <laughs> She makes a psychic deep fake of herself inside Damon's mind. Yeah, I was going to say she does a painstaking lasso tool around Elena in the video and inserts a <laughs> clip of herself. She spent like an hour watching the video and then recording herself <laughs> matching the movements and then edited herself in. She said, I'm old school. I don't use that AI shit. I put in the work. <laughs> And Damon, Damon now sees the memory as him saying, because the memory was originally him going, Catherine, when he sees Elena for the first time. And then Elena going, no, I'm Elena. And she edits it so that Damon then sees her going, hi, I'm Sybil. And that's the first time you hear her name, which is also a name with ties to Greece. Is a, a Sybil a type of seer or was Sybil a seer in Greek mythology? Uh, it means prophetess and oracle. In reference to the Sybils, oracles of ancient Greece. You're correct. Well, there we go. Cool name for a psychic character. She's not. She's not clairvoyant, though. But, no, you know, no. she's of Greek origin, I guess. Yeah, the I vibes guess. are Is there. She? Because it, <laughs> uh, uh. Bonnie eventually has to return Enzo to Sybil because once he's out of range of her preferred level of control, his <laughs> mind basically starts to melt, and Bonnie's like, okay. Gotta take him back. Yeah, it's almost WandaVision where it's like if he's too far at the edge of the bubble, he starts to shut down. 
It's real, like, ooh. That's, that's the thing I appreciate about... They are psychics, essentially. And it's all mental powers, which we've seen many a time before on the show, vampires have mental powers, that they've used sporadically, but they start, like, remembering they have the season. And we've seen Silas as a psychic. And so psychic powers aren't anything special, but the distinction with the sirens is that no matter how far away you are, she still has a hold over you. And she, we come to learn, can also do things remotely from a distance. And I think that's really the, like, linchpin of their powers. Because otherwise, they're just psychics, really. And her, her powers, unlike all the other psychic people in this universe, they seem to also have a physical effect. Enzo is, like, physically in pain and, like, bleeding and frothing at the mouth at certain points when she's exacting her control over him. Which even Silas, whose powers at times seem to be able to do things the sirens can't, even Silas couldn't affect people physically. Silas seemed to be able to, like, sit down, have a conversation with you about, you know the economy but also be reading your mind about like your deepest darkest secrets and then walk away knowing everything he needed to know right she she spends some time faffing around not doing very interesting (laughs) things with with damon and enzo under her control she does eventually manage to get enzo to shut off his humanity so i mean i guess but this is the season where humanity switches are just being flipped on and off constantly it gets very tiresome at this stage it's like everyone's been emotionless it's nothing new but eventually the prong the little forky thing that georgie found alaric turns out to be a tuning fork and it's like ooh, tuning fork we're working with sound we have sirens who are singing or humming to mind control people and it seems like the siren can use her powers without actually singing but she seems to like doing that as like a focus or an enhancer yeah she does it sometimes without singing but then sometimes she does and i'm like okay this is just a choice you've made you just decided you you like i think she just likes to add some flavor to it she's just like i'm just something fun for the girlies you know (laughs) it's not like necessary at all i guess it's like witches doing verbal and non-verbal spells like also maybe it allows you see in instances where they have to siren a bunch of people at once then they have to sing so it seems like maybe it's maybe it's a power boost i could casually do psychic things to you but if i need to control you or make you do something that's like like it's going to be difficult to get through to you i add my song to like be a brute force tactic i don't know Ah, a little mental lullaby how is it that they bring the tuning fork to sybil and capture her they've known the whole time that this is something that's going to work against the siren somehow they know it was forged in like 2000 bc they know it was shipped to mystic falls with the sirens so when dorian i think the other intern's name is figures out that it's a tuning fork Alaric goes with it to wherever the siren is. It's Georgie who figures out it's a fork, not Dorian. I had my hopes too high. Dorian's been gone for a while. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is when Sybil finds Bonnie in Enzo's mind. Oh, yes, she finally manages to figure out that, oh, this is who Enzo really cares about. Which, you know, he hasn't got a whole lot going on, so I'm not surprised that she managed to pick up that information. head empty otherwise. It's crazy it took this long. Bonnie and Caroline get roped into that little road trip with Sybil. With Sybil, yep. <laughs> which... <laughs> who doesn't... <laughs> who so doesn't much... buckle her seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> that whole interaction is so much fun. At that stage, I think Stefan had already 
attacksable in the previous episode where she murdered Sarah Salvatore slash Sarah Nelson. He snapped her neck and she got up almost immediately, revealing that sirens are going to be difficult to kill, much like nearly every other supernatural creature in this world. Um, she tells him that uh, <laughs> it'll take a lot more than that <laughs> to hurt her. <laughs> but in this episode, when Caroline accelerates the car that she's driving, uh, she and Bonnie are buckled. She breaks suddenly and Sybil is yeeted through the windshield <laughs> and into the road. It is... She flies out. It's so funny. <laughs> it is hilarious. I don't know how weak that windshield was or why no airbags went off in the front with Caroline and Bonnie. Yeah, that's the more concerning, like that safety feature, apparently, especially with all the product placement they like to do on this show. That's damning. But (laughs) (laughs) this isn't at all how resilience as a supernatural power needs to work. But I like to think because she's sturdy, because she's a siren, that's why she broke through the windshield because she's so (laughs) dense. A siren physiology made her smash through that window. <laughs> I need to show that clip to all the all the people who like to tell me that, oh, you don't need to fasten your seatbelt if you're in the back seat. I'm like, I don't know who told you that. Yeah. There is a reason there are seatbelts in the back. The scared straight <laughs> of wearing your seatbelt, just a clip of Sybil flying through the windshield. <laughs> And the scene ends with her still lying there. So seemingly a snapped neck is easier to recover from than being flung out of a windshield. She gets up eventually and she's like bruised up, but she's just like, ugh, just picks up her jacket. But it, it takes a while because yeah. Carolyn and Bonnie are long gone by the time she gets up. Whereas when Stefan snapped her neck, she got up like seconds later. She decides that she's going to play some mind games with people. And she tells Damon that, hey, Damon, you know how you have your bestie, Bonnie, because uh, you guys... Bonnie yeah, we're world. still keeping that going. She tells Bonnie that Damon is your bestie, but Enzo is your true love. I'm going to make you choose between the two of them. One of them gets to die <laughs> and the other one gets to live. Bonnie, seemingly with more difficulty than I would have expected, ultimately decides that, yeah, I'm going to save Enzo. Sorry, Damon. Like, I know, I know my bestie is in love with you and I know we're friends, but I love Enzo and I'm choosing him. I have to let you die. And Damon is like, Bonnie, no. Not necessarily because he feels betrayed that you would choose No, because he feels hell. I don't want to go to hell. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) His only concern this season is that he's going to hell. And I'm like, so you're telling me that if Damon Salvatore had been a religious man, he would have been a better person all this time because he would have been so scared of hell. This is the thing I like. There's a lot about this that's just so confusing to me because they knew in some sense that Because of Catherine, right, which is poignant to bring up, they knew she went somewhere bad after season five. They knew that. Did Bonnie ever tell them that, though? We never see Bonnie telling them that. You think Bonnie wouldn't tell them that Catherine got what she deserved? You think her friends wouldn't want to hear that? Bonnie probably tried to tell them and they were also absorbed with their own lives like they always are that she couldn't get a word in. I don't know. I guess if they didn't know about the Catherine situation, they probably weren't expecting Hal to be real. Because you know, every single supernatural discovery they make, they question with like the most... (laughs) It's like the most ridiculous skepticism. And it's like, you drink blood to survive and you move faster than a booing. What are you so skeptical about? Until eventually we get to Hell. And I love it because we'll get to it. um, But there is a scene where... 
where she calls them out of her skepticism. She tells Stefan, did you believe in vampires before you <laughs> fell in love with one and then became one yourself? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, thank you for pointing it thank out. Thank you, Sybil. Why are you so disbelieving of a thing in a world where these things happen? In true mean girl fashion, Sybil is like, lol, Bonnie, I was kidding. I just wanted you to feel like an asshole for telling Damon that you want him to die. I'm going to kill Enzo anyway because between the two of them, Damon is more loyal to me now. I have edited Elena out of his head and Enzo is still clearly in love with you. Listen, it's survival of the simpest and right now Damon's the only one like meeting the criteria. She decides that I'm going to kill Enzo and you unless Enzo switches off his humanity and that's where Enzo turns off his humanity this season. He turns of his humanity, and then Sybil's like, okay, you know how I just promised that I wouldn't kill Bonnie if you turn of humanity? I was lying. Please go kill her now. <laughs> She's so crazy! Oh my god. She's so She's unfair. so crazy, silly girl. She's like, ugh, man, I was giving you another fake choice. Come on. Oh, you hate me, but you know you love me. She's insane. <laughs> She does it three times in the space of ten minutes. <laughs> God. She tells Bonnie, she's like, um, I'm going to count down from ten, and then Damon is going to kill you. And Enzo's just going to stand there and watch because his humanity is off and he doesn't care. She starts counting down, and Bonnie is like in disbelief and like trying to appeal to her friends for mercy. And I'm like, Bonnie, you know how the humanity switch you works. Know. You know how mind control works. You are wasting your countdown because, once again, Bonnie's not a witch anymore. So she can't fight back. Eventually, when the countdown is like on four, <laughs> she finally <laughs> decides to run. <laughs> Better late than never. Hopefully you make it out. She doesn't, but... <laughs> she manages to get outside. And as Damon is, you know, vamp speeding towards her, I think she gets to her car mm. and is about to get inside. But obviously Damon is already there. And then Alaric comes out of nowhere and hits Damon <laughs> with his car. <laughs> so satisfying. It's so satisfying. <laughs> Which I'm like, yeah, the car came from off screen, but how was it not within Damon's vision or earshot? Because the car was speeding. Speeding cars tend to make a sound. Listen, a vampire this season gets snuck up on by a regular human and staked in the back. I do, everything's out the window in terms of rules. They can no longer hear really well. They can no longer sense anything just like through the periphery. Nothing matters in season eight. It's crazy. Maybe it was the mind control. He was so focused on Bonnie and Bonnie was so afraid of him that neither of them heard the car like <laughs> zooming Speeding. towards them in an otherwise empty parking lot. Speeding at lethal crash speed. Damon is hit with the car and I guess that's him down for the count. At least, you know, they, they assume that he is. I don't know why they don't, you know, Double tap, snap his neck, make sure. Uh, you know, God. you know, Horror film vibes. Like, I hit the bad guy once and then I drop my weapon. And oh, I... God. Someone <laughs> drops their weapon this season too. I saw it happen. I was like, why would you put the gun down? You've only shot him twice. He's not dead. <laughs> um, but Sybil, Sybil shows up a few seconds later and she tries to attack Alaric with her psychic powers and then Alaric hits the fork against the car, um, the tuning fork, the big tuning fork. And this is, this is a big tuning fork, just by the way. Just... Yeah, it's a sizable, like, arm's length metal bronze thing. It's, like, probably longer than a violin. Like, longer than a violin, smaller than a guitar. Like, it's so, somewhere in that wheelhouse. He hits it, it, like, rings with this, like, reverberating high-pitched squee, which seems to affect 
affects the bull. I must note that in that moment, it doesn't seem to affect Bonnie, who is right there. It doesn't. It certainly doesn't. Mm -hmm. We'll put a pin in that. More on that later. <laughs> <It> <laughs> It affects uh, Sybil, and they are able to, I guess, take her down. And Enzo, her other little henchman, shows up, but Stefan snaps her neck from the back because Stefan was around, I guess. Yes, yeah, the whole thing was that while Sybil was off to find Bonnie, because she'd sifted her from Enzo's mind finally, and she was here to find who this girl is who has both of her boys in a little tizzy. What sort of power do you hold? Because, like, her whole vibe is having power over men. Well, not just men. She They seem to be able to siren anyone. Yeah. But, like, the whole vibe is that she has these two men at her beck and call, and she wants to have full control over them. And Bonnie, seemingly just a regular, a human person seems to have such a hold over she says Damon and Enzo but it's just Enzo I don't think Damon and any yeah it really is <laughs> Enzo. in terms of like his his mind control situation with Sybil Bonnie is only important to him for that single episode every other time right. it's always about Elena but she's so perplexed by like how does this mundane regular girl have so much control over Enzo and Damon without even trying and she's having to work so hard at something she can normally do at the drop of a hat she mentions the number of people she's like mind controlled and slain over the years and she's like give or take a few hundred Phoenicians which I thought was hilarious and she's like why are these two giving me so much trouble oh it's this bitch Bonnie what's her <laughs> vibe I have to know and so while she's with them Bonnie and Caroline Damon has lured Stefan into a trap and then they are like fighting in that warehouse so that's why stefan is there to stab enzo's neck amazing that stefan falls for that honestly i guess he's trying to see the Where damon is concerned blind it's spots uh, yeah this this is this is the same stefan who thought that his father would spare catherine once he found out that she was a vampire <laughs> i'm like stefan grow up <laughs> <laughs> notably so willing to believe the best of his monstrous family members once they've incapacitated Sybil and Enzo, Damon manages to get away because of course he did. You only hit him with a car. You didn't, you know, temporarily kill him by snapping his neck. You didn't vervain him. <laughs> we see that Georgie, Alaric's intern, uh, the one who had a brief glimpse of hell, has, has been watching this from afar. And it's like, ooh, mysterious. What is she up to? Because everyone in this show is always up to something. Like, a character doesn't get more than five lines unless they're up to something. <laughs> she pisses me off. I love the actress, wow, the... Um, Alison Scagliotti. She was in Drake and Josh. She played Mindy, who is like uh, Josh's rivals to lovers' love interest, which I thought was fun. Oh, maybe that. She looked very familiar. Maybe that's where I know her from. But the episode ends with Sybil now trapped inside this cute little glass prison inside the armory. I don't know why they think that that's going to stop her from using her psychic powers, but they are regularly ringing the tuning fork, which does seem to be disrupting her abilities and causing her pain. Causing her pain, it seems to give her like a little headache. You know, I mean, she is causing her discomfort. No. Okay. I say this to say the story suggests, or the writing suggests, that like this is the ultimate weapon against the sirens. And all it is is that they ring it and she just touches the temples and she's like, mm. oh, that <laughs> And it's like, we've got Vervain that not only burns vampires, it fully incapacitates them, like brings them to the ground. We've got Wolvesbane that does the same for werewolves. We've got, I forget what it's called, that like completely cuts off a witch's magic, a thing you can make a witch ingest to cut off their magic. And it's like, 
oh, the siren just has a little headache. It just felt so underwhelming. But yeah, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> the episode ends with uh, Damon, who I guess Sybil has been feeling like, Damon, I know I have you under my control now since I photoshopped myself into your <laughs> Elena memory anchor. But I feel like your friends are being annoying because they won't let you go. And I don't like to share my toys, as I have made very clear by this point. She basically pushes him to, you know, you, you got to do something to prove to your friends that you are beyond saving i want them to stop following us around and so even though damon is not under her direct influence and not near her anymore she's still able to push him to do this thing and lo and behold the writers decide the thing that damon's gonna do to truly convince his friends that after everything else he's ever done that he is beyond saving is he's gonna murder tyler lockwood tyler lockwood who just for context, has not been in the show in any real capacity since, like, season six. Back briefly in season seven to take Elena's sleeping body away. Don't know why they didn't give it to Jeremy. Seems the more logical choice. And then he returns, and Damon kills him. And I don't see why Sybil thought this would be the thing to make the group turn against Damon for once and for all. For starters, Tyler is the person in the Mystic Falls group who probably has the fewest connections least attached he's matt's best friend no one but matt likes him at the beginning but all his other relationships have pretty much fallen away by then he, there was that brief thing where his rivalry with jeremy over vicky had like died down like friends with caroline and they eventually become lovers for a large section of the show and that's it so it's like tyler didn't matter that much to the other people i don't think he ever has barely seen... friends with elena <laughs> don't think he cares about the Salvators. There's one scene that he shares with Elena where, like, I think it's at the end of season three when Klaus is going to drain her of her blood so that he can have, like, a little bit of doppelganger blood left over but then kill her so that the enhanced original Alaric can die. And then Tyler saves her because he's broken Messiah Bond and that was, like, the ace in the hole that he was hiding from Klaus. I'm not your little bitch anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what he says. But it's like, yeah, Tyler's not the serve you think he no. is. Like, it's confusing to be like, Tyler is the linchpin. Tyler Tyler is the moral center of this group who is the point of no return <laughs> Tyler Lockwood. I guess Michael Trevino maybe was tired of being in the show and he was like, yeah, you can kill me off. I don't want to come back. Write me out. <laughs> so Damon murders him. And the weird thing is, even as he's about to die, Tyler is like, I'm not going to beg for mercy or try and run away. Like, go ahead. Kill me, Damon. Do this horrible thing and know that it'll haunt you forever no, no, one day when you're past this. all of this and your humanity is back and you're free. And I'm like, Tyler, I think you especially are over <laughs> overthinking your importance to Damon. Yeah, like, where are you you're getting this idea? <laughs> Why does Tyler in the story have this thought about himself and his importance <laughs> to the group and his importance to Damon? It's like, what? I don't, I don't know. I know these people have known each other their whole lives and they've been through a lot. I but I was just like... I was just like, Tyler, yes, obviously you are important to the group, but I don't think you specifically are the one thing Damon could do. To, like, if Damon really had no emotions and really thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder someone to make these people never forgive me, I feel like he would have killed Bonnie. Like, that... Yeah, Bonnie's the surefire way. Your lowest rung is Matt, because even though Matt is in that same space as Tyler, where it's like, he's not really that important in the grand scheme of things, Matt is that moral center that they're talking about, at least up until, like, season six, maybe. It's like, Matt is the, like, inarguably nice guy who hasn't wronged anybody and everybody wants to keep alive. It's why he survives the whole show. If Damon killed Matt, 
I think that would be the point of no return. Yeah. And it's just weird that they position it as time. I guess because Matt has, like, things going on now in present day. Or will when he gets back. Because he's not in these early few episodes. It's a pointless death. It's a waste of a death. I I mean, I wouldn't have wanted Tyler to die anyway. But at least if his death had truly mattered, I could have been like, okay, narratively, I can respect the choice. Just a, a stupid note that has nothing to do with this very important criticism. When Sybil makes Damon do this right, quote-unquote makes. I don't know. I don't want to lose the active choices that Damon makes in this story because Sybil presents this idea to him that, like, you've got to cut all ties to avoid hell. And he's like, gladly. When she's doing the, like, singing to reach him psychically from a distance, there's this song that's playing in the background. I don't know what song it is. I have to look up, up later. But it's this, like pop song like like a slow kind of song and it's playing like non-diegetically right you understand that it's theme music for the episode the way that television does then Sybil starts humming and it's in the tune of the song playing in the background (laughs) and then I'm like now what what's happening here the diegesis is crossing streams what just can she hear the background music is she she hulking through the fourth wall What's going on? I told you, sirens are powerful. It's the final <laughs> season. She's a siren. She can hear the music too. <laughs> she reached through the episode's borders. She put her head outside my laptop screen and heard the song play. I was like, "Hello, where'd you come from, sis?" In in one of the earlier episodes in season one, it's when Elena finally realizes that, hey, Stefan Salvatore is a vampire. It's like episode There's five. the song, The Beauty of the Dark, that plays. And a lot of stuff is happening while it's playing. Caroline is fighting with her mom, like just being a moody teenager. Bonnie is realizing that she's got some sort of supernatural powers. Cheerfully goes to her grandmother and like asks her like what's happening with her. Damon has escaped from the from the Salvatore cellar and has murdered Uncle Zach. And Stefan has just found Uncle Zach's corpse and is obviously devastated. And he goes, I think, I think either he goes to Elena or maybe Elena goes to him. But like they 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 go face to face and she's like, oh my gosh, what are you? And th- that song is playing. And the final scene with the song is. Vicky and her stoner friends in the woods and the song ends and it's coming from the radio of the car and her friends are like Vicky turn the music back on <laughs> and then Damon shows up to eat them and it's like wait so was that song coming from the was car? It, was it coming from her car the whole time? Is she right around the corner from Stephen's house? <laughs> She's the midpoint between Stephen's house, Caroline Forbes' house and Bonnie <laughs> Bennett's house and she's playing it so loud that all of them can hear it. So all, all this to say that this show has done interesting things with the music before. I thought it was so fun. I thought it was insane. Simple is actually, she's a hilarious character. I, I have she's to so say. Crazy. She's so fun. <laughs> I did not care for them the first time around for rewatching this. Just like, now that I can appreciate that, like, something can be bad, but also so much fun. So, in the next episode, she is stuck inside the armory again. <laughs> and she decides it's time for some exposition because in Vampire Diaries, we have all these characters who are centuries old, and at some point, they need to tell us their backstory. Like, it's, it's, it's just a given. I do appreciate the mechanism of it here, though, because she's speaking to to Stefan and she has this fascination with Stefan right it's surprising considering how gung-ho she's been about Damon you ask yourself what the hell would she want with Stefan who's kind of his cardinal opposite and as she gets into the backstory I, I do like how they wove that in she's like 
once upon a time, what was it? Was it 2,500 years? I don't even know at this point. It's always it's like... ancient Greece. So this is the thing. 2,000 whatever is when they found the folk. Apparently, she's from 750 BC. Oh. Yeah. I In my mind, I thought, oh, if the folk is from 2000 BC, she must also be. And then later you find out where the folk is from. And it's like, no, that's less related to her and more related to another character who's a little bit older. The character is Arcadius. She tells them bedtime stories. <laughs> She's like, once upon a time, <laughs> in this seemingly Greek society, there was a man named Arcadius. And it's a pity that they made the whole Silas and Amara thing so Greek-flavored because now that they're dealing with sirens, they kind of have to go Greek. And it's like, ah, now in the show that like has all these characters whose history spans centuries and continents, we've got Native American werewolves, Nordic original vampires, and then we've got like a lot of Greek witches and psychics. And it's like, ah, we could have explored some other parts of the world. No Sumeria, no West Africa, nothing like that. You know, it's a shame because in, in the first season, we're supposed to believe that, oh, the werewolf sun and vampire sun and moon curse is this Aztec thing. But then that turns out to be a lie by Klaus. <laughs> Klaus was like, because our myths and legends can only be lies <laughs> as African and indigenous people. Ugh, I hate it. Uh, but yeah, Ar- Arcadius is is a he's a character. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he played exists. By I I don't know how to say the actor's name. Oh, Wale. Wale. Okay, that sounds cool. Wale Parks. Very good looking. Bright smile. A very sort of dapper, sophisticated energy, and these eyes that just light up with this this very sweet quality even when his character is supposed to be unnerving hey in this is hell <laughs> not in his origin though not in the bedtime story in the bedtime story sybil says once upon a time there was a man named arcadius who everyone called cade because as i've said before in the vampire diaries universe who are you if you don't have a nickname or an alias <laughs> a cute little thing for your friends you can't just be niklaus you've got to be klaus you can't just be malachi parker you've got to be kai you can't be Katarina Petrova. You've got to be Catherine Pierce. Nobody ever calls her Kathy. <laughs> Wouldn't that be? They sometimes call her be fascinating. <laughs> Damon calls Do her really? Kat sometimes. The one, that one, one I don't her. like. I feel like when she was in her um, uh, her aging era, I wish someone just called her Kathy, like Aunt Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fun. Aunt Kathy. <laughs> just a little Aunt Kathy. So Arcadius, aka Cade was a a psychic man who lived in this village in ancient Greece. He could hear people's thoughts. Doesn't seem like he could project thoughts, so it was more like just, you know, being being receptive to people's thoughts. I guess we're made to believe that this ability unnerved certain people. The only example we see of it is that he clearly reads the mind of some man in his village who is having seemingly gross or inappropriate thoughts about a young woman. Or is it even a woman? It might be a girl. It might. It be was a, a young girl. Like, that was a pedophile. Oh, gross. The vibe I got is that people were chill with it when he was, you know, fun psychic guy who did little tricks and like, oh, he always like knew exactly what to get you or what kind of thing you needed. And only when he, quote, overstepped, right, when he starts checking you on the things you have in your head that he considers or might be considered generally not acceptable, then they started getting pissed. Arcadius knows and tells him, oh, you shouldn't be thinking those thoughts. 
I don't know what he hoped to accomplish with that. Uh, I'm like, you maybe want to tell someone or... He's a big proponent of rehabilitation rather than incarceration. And sometimes that will get you in tough situations. It's a moral principle to have and I respect it. However, he does suffer for it. But they decide they're going to burn him at the stake. The flashback doesn't even have <laughs> much to go on. It's just like, was he framed for something? Did the guy turn around and say... Oh, he's influencing thoughts, or maybe he was the one who had these thoughts. It's just like, no, they just, they didn't like it because he was reading thoughts that made them uncomfortable, and now they all turned against him, burned him at the stake. You see a little boy who he had helped previously, like in the flashback, like now throwing stuff at him, like while he's on the pyre. I don't know how much, like, mob justice, I'm not an expert on ancient Greek history, but mob justice burning a witch at the stake, that feels very European. It feels very far west rather than yeah like ancient west that is in line with a number of like thematic and uh world building things that the show does with all the ancient greek stuff i don't know necessarily if like an ancient greece where we believe in gods nature spirits organize around these cults not cults in the definition of the present sense but like these cults around these gods and goddesses so that they will bless the harvest or they will calm the seas I don't know necessarily if a mob getting together to burn a witch at the stake is something that would have happened. But again, not an expert, so I don't know. Or whatever it is they believed he was, because he's he's called a psychic, and Sybil describes him as the first psychic. Don't know what that means, don't know why he is that, it's never explained. He seemingly had no descendants, because at no point in the show is someone described as being of his bloodline. Thankfully, this is the one powerful black character in the show who's not an ancestor of Bonnie. So... Do we think or do? Sybil says that when he died, he saw the people of his community for who they really were. These vengeful, spiteful, deceitful, horrible people who deserved to suffer. And later on, she extrapolates on that and says that he used his psychic abilities in death to create this metaphysical realm where a person's consciousness slash soul might go to when their physical body expired the exact mechanics of how he did this anybody's guess not clear we talked about this in the gilbert journal on witches but the, oh no we might not have we might have talked about this separately uh, outside of the podcast but him being a psychic and being able to do these kind of crazy things that you would attribute to witchcraft, right? He creates a realm that exists beyond death or like beyond this reality, a thing we've seen witches do. I mean, we'll get into it later, but a number of stuff that he does reads like witchcraft, but they make clear he's not a witch, he's a psychic. At this point in the show, we've heard the word psychic used before, but it always seemed like a subset of witch magic. But suddenly when Cade is presented to us as the first psychic, it's like, oh no, he just has these telepathic abilities and that's that. You know, the usual reading minds, manipulating thoughts maybe when he gets a little powerful and then creating an extra dimensional reality with his brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a jump, that last one. It's a bit, it's a bit of a leap in power. I will say though, he isn't a malicious person in life. He seems to be this very benevolent, sweet guy. And so it could be possible that it's only through his lack of interest in exerting any psychic will over other people that we don't see him use any psychic ability that 
like controls or enforces on people. We only see him use abilities and, and not necessarily like consciously or actively to read people's minds. Yeah. So maybe he had more psychic abilities. Maybe he didn't. He dies like five minutes after we know him. <laughs> In the flashback. In the flashback, yeah. So he dies in the course of like one conversation between Sybil and Stefan. Yeah. And Sybil explains that he created this dimension of eternal suffering and torment where the souls of the damned would go in death. And that is this universe's literal version of hell. Yeah. It's never explicitly stated, but I do believe we as the audience are meant to gather that this is where Catherine went in season six, was it? Five, six? Five. It was the middle to latter half of season five. Bonnie was the anchor, and she had just come back to life. Bonnie was the anchor, and, and Catherine failed to pass through to the other side, which was still intact at that point, because the travelers hadn't done their nonsense. Yes. And Catherine is sucked away into the darkness. She is in another plane of existence at that point. She's clearly not in the physical world, and Bonnie can see her, but she doesn't pass through Bonnie the way that spirits are meant to when they go to the other side proper. She just gets sucked away into the night, and... I definitely think at that point that it was like, yeah, Catherine went to hell, and I don't think they were going to touch on it necessarily. It was just like a fun beat to be like, Catherine Pierce isn't passing through <laughs> to the other side. Catherine Pierce has done so much. She deserves some sort of comeuppance, right? And so that was the beat there. I think they were banking on us not remembering that, or at least not thinking about that happening because of the fact that, I mean, I can say she comes back in season eight. It's not necessarily something we'll discuss in this yeah. uh, episode. But the fact that her coming back is this big surprise when Kai goes, the, the original bad bitch or whatever, it's like, <gasps> Catherine, they were banking on you forgetting, oh yeah, she got sucked into hell that time. Oh, it's this hell. This hell is better with you, Rina Sawayama. <laughs> Personally, I remembered that she was implicitly in hell and so when hell was introduced as well, a, you would, as a proper of course. concept <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> you pay attention to the details and you hold them clearly in your mind I do. for the layman watching the show we could easily forget that for detail. better or for worse i do tend to cling to deeds but also once the travelers had done their shenanigans and they had you know fractured the structure of the other side and it began to collapse the people who were being sucked away into the darkness like vicky like silas i assumed that they were going where Catherine had gone that's, that's never proven either way. We talk about this in the first episode of the podcast, funny enough. So that's a nice little throwback of like, did the trap door open under <laughs> the other side and everyone just fell into hell? But Vicky comes back and she's been in hell. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, when the other side collapsed, the people unfortunately. But is that a be definitive there. argument? Well... Because it's like. It's very possible the other side just sent whoever needed to go where. It sent some people to peace, it sent some people to hell, and Vicky just ended up in hell. Do I personally think she should have? No. But by the metrics... I think the people who found peace had to find it before the darkness sucked them away. Like Lexi. Lexi manages to save... Who does she save? She saves someone. And then she's like, oh, I've helped Stefan. Like, I've helped my friend... I'm at peace. He doesn't need me anymore. And she's like, she looks up at the darkness and she's like, you're not going to get me. And then there's a flash of light and she finds me. Yeah. So I guess, I guess everyone who was unlucky enough to be there. Sucks to <laughs> suck. Oh my hell. God. The Lexi precedent. This is the legal argument <laughs> that we will stake our case on. The Lexi precedent. By the Lexi argument, everyone else 
falls into Because Grams, Grams also manages to find peace. Yes. He tells Bonnie, you know, I've helped you, and by extension, Damon, I've helped you, and I found peace. That's all I need. So Sybil then decides to explain part two to this little fairy tale once she explains that Cade created hell. He is the devil. It's... We can, we can delve into the mythology of that, I guess. We'll save it for after we've worked through the narrative. She then explains that a little later on, there was another girl, not another girl, sorry, there, there was a girl, another psychic, who existed, who was seen as a problem by her society. She was exiled from her village. Thankfully, she wasn't burned of a stake, but she was put in a raft. But now I have a question about the timing of this, because if she's born like a thousand, a thousand five hundred years after Cade, why is that still such a lasting concern in this village, this specific village, that she just gets exiled? I don't know if she was from the same village. Oh, she's just from another nearby village that also knows about and hates psychics. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> What's the it it would make sense if she was born around the time Cade was like burned at the stake because then we've got like the issue is present, right? It's like no one was like having the witch panic in the 1900s, 300 years after the Salem witch trials. You know what I'm saying? It's like it wouldn't last that long. It would dissipate assuming there aren't any like present psychics actively like doing shit. Maybe or maybe you're underestimating humanity's ability to hold on to bigotry for many, many generations. Yeah. They were like, we scary. haven't seen a psychic in generations, but if one ever appears, <laughs> they're going to get I shot. I thought we got rid of your kind. <laughs> <laughs> get out of here. It's like, we don't burn them at the stake, but we don't want them in our town. We're not monsters, but we're still bigots. They were, <laughs> <laughs> they were merciful because she was a little girl. Or maybe because she was white. I don't know. But they put her on a raft. <laughs> Excuse me, she's and I will not stand for this whitewashing. Hey, played played All by right. a Peruvian Australian actress. So exactly, as is so. often the case with the TVD casting, it's anyone's guess what ethnicity these people are meant to be. <laughs> it's made funnier by the fact that they acknowledge it in the text because at some point when Sybil and Celine encounter each other, Sybil makes a note that Celine has lost her accent, and I went. What oh accent, yeah, Sybil? that was crazy. What accent I was like, are you You doing? have this diluted Australian accent that is very coloured with like American. That <laughs> comes in and out at any given moment. <laughs> She's very American sometimes, and I'm like, girl. What accent? <laughs> what are we talking about here? She even imitates her and she's like, she's like, so American. So and I was American. Like, I'm like, that's how some of your words sound anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how you sounded two seconds ago. <laughs> I'm like, why aren't you doing an ancient Greek accent then? In this flashback when they're little girls, they're not doing an ancient Greek accent. They're doing an American accent. Vampire Diaries and, and all its shows tended to just hire american actors anyway i mean yeah i guess you've got to suspend your disbelief and be like they're speaking in ancient greek right now it's okay it's fine but i want to hear like a malaka <laughs> the only characters we ever get speaking in the language they're meant to be speaking in in these flashbacks are the petrova the the, the, the petrov family with um you know nina dobrev showing off her actual bulgarian speaking skills and the actress playing her mother and father i just thought it was funny that they decided to actively call it out in text because that breaks the suspension right that's like now i've got to think about the way that you sound and that it's not how you purport to sound <laughs> i don't know <laughs> 
in the flashback of this little girl in the story, her raft reaches this island where she finds another girl who has been sent here. Presumably she's also psychic and this is just where they send all the psychics. Yeah, this is the psychic island that we send the psychics to. Does to she come form from the same up. village? Are they from the same country? <laughs> they could communicate so they must speak the same language. Or are they speaking telepathically? <laughs> Unclear. <laughs> I also have to go... Now I know from, like, historical text which islands are referenced when we talk about sirens. So are they in those islands right now? Are they in Capri? Are they in Anthemusa? Like, what? I just... I need to know. Oh, I'm not even going to assume that in the TVD universe... That, that island could be anywhere. They could be in the yeah. Pacific. Frankly, they could know. be in Nova Scotia. <laughs> they could be anywhere. It's Silas's island. Exactly. It's the same <laughs> island. They predate Silas, so he wouldn't have been there. Maybe that's how he developed his psychic powers. He was there. There was like leftover psychic energy. He learned from the best. He harnessed what they left behind. And he built for himself. <laughs> behind every powerful man, as they say, mm. are two little psychic girls. <laughs> You know that old saying. (laughs) (laughs) So they meet and they become friends and then eventually come to regard each other as sisters. The older of the two girls, it seems she seems to be older, is the one who is already on the island. And apparently the island has absolutely no food. There is no fruit, no vegetables, no wildlife. There must be fresh water, I'm assuming, because they don't die of thirst. The island is large enough that there is another side to it, quote-unquote, where the elder of the two girls tells the younger girl that, oh, there are wild boars there. So, you know, you're too small and it's too dangerous. I- I'll go by myself to the other side of the island and I'll, I'll like, kill these wild boars and then I'll bring back the meat and then we'll eat, and that's just how we'll survive for years and Me, years and years. Me, a fourteen-year-old girl, <laughs> killing boars month to month—it's super chill. Without you ever questioning it, or wandering <laughs> off on your own, or getting bored on this island and deciding you're just gonna come and see what I'm up to, or walk there without me. No, no, no. Do you think she could psychically calm the boars so that they were easier? I mean, the boars weren't real, obviously. But like, <laughs> now I'm thinking about. <laughs> Now I'm thinking about actually being a psychic 14-year-old girl. Could you hunt boars by psychically calming them down and then just real quick stabbing them in the neck and having them die quick? We have no idea if the psychic powers in the Vampire Diaries universe can even affect non-humans. Like, we never get to see if people can control animals in any way. It'd be cool if they could. That's that's a traditional vampire ability, like like the dragon. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes controlling. it's... Creatures of the night. Come like a beast master as a vampire. That'd be Ooh. so cool. Damon has thought of that in the books with his little crow. That yeah, they his little crow. Stupid little crow. I wish <laughs> Stefan had like a little fox because I feel like thematically that would be a nice little symbol for him. Damon has his crow. He has a fox. More for my fan fictions. <laughs> so here's what it is. At some point, the older sister asked the younger sister, listen, I need your help. We need to draw these people in so that they can come rescue us because there's no food left on the island. The younger impressionable sister goes with her and they combine their psychic powers and summon this ship. They reach out with their psychic powers, their psychic minds, and convince people to come towards them. But because the rocks on the island are so precarious, they crash and have their ship destroyed on the rocks trying to get to shore and assumedly all drown and die or whatever. And so that's the big horror for the younger sister of like, the older sister knew that would happen 
her whole goal was to, quote, get provisions from the ship. And then they would continue with this horrible, like, charade for, like, a couple of years. It was already horrific enough that, like, men had to die on their rocks, like, had to crash. They were crashing ship after ship after ship and robbing them of their provisions. And then afterwards is the thing that you're about to say. That was when she found the the cave of wonders with the human remains. I don't know why the older sister was even storing these human remains in a cave. I'm like, you could have just dumped them in the ocean where their bodies were supposed to have been anyway. Anyway, um, and she realizes that, oh no, I've been eating human flesh. Whenever these ships crash, the older sister has been collecting their bodies, harvesting the flesh, and cooking it up. And I find it interesting that they mention boar meats because apparently those humans who would know claim that cooked human flesh tastes like pork. I wouldn't know because I've never eaten human flesh. But <laughs> um, I will say on behalf of the people who have, not everyone who has tasted human flesh is like a willing, evil, crazy cannibal. There are some people who have done it in very heinous situations where like I, I know there was a story of, what was it, uh, this football team and the people who were traveling with them who crashed in the Andes Mountains years ago and they were stranded in this frozen wasteland in the mountains for months and they unfortunately did have to make do with the remains of the people who had crashed with them and were being preserved by the cold. It's truly horrible, but the one thing that I did remember from reading that story, re- reading about that, like, because um, I, I, I don't know, I don't even know how I found this story. I don't know what I was Googling. <laughs> But <laughs> one of those wiki spirals, I yes. get it. Down the rabbit hole. Maybe I started looking up football teams and then I, I Yeah, and all them. of a sudden you're in a cannibalism like scandal from me. I was I was trying to be a mask bro and I was like, let me learn about mm. football and then next thing I'm reading about cannibalism. <laughs> Apparently the families, apparently, I don't know how they got this collective response from all the families of the people who unfortunately didn't survive the incident, but after the people who did survive were rescued and they told their story, apparently the families of the people who's already dead, they were already dead, um, remains had to be cannibalized, said they did understand. They were like, no, we understand. It was like, this is a very specific, awful set of circumstances. We're not angry. I'd like to think I would understand. I'd be horrified, of course, because, I mean, cannibalism. But, like, I I get it. There are enough instances in human history of this exact thing where people get stranded, usually in cold, remote areas where preservation really helps out. Um, But, like, where people have to resort to consuming human flesh to survive. The Donner Party, I believe, is what they were called. Most notably on the, like, I think it was the Oregon Trail. They got fooled by some shyster, and they ended up on some wrong track they got delayed and they ended up trapped in like a remote like snowstorm or something and they had to turn to cannibalism to survive i have no idea what it feels like to starve and what place your brain takes its instincts to when the body is just trying to survive but i feel like i couldn't do that i mean like give it's me exactly something what for the you pain say. and we leave me to die don't know. We simply don't know the pain of starving, not just for days, for weeks. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what, I, what I do know is that your, your brain will do what it needs to do to get you to survive. Oh, yeah. Sybil, for her part, is horrified that she's been doing this seemingly for years. That's the reveal. The girl in the story is Sybil. She tells the story in a vague enough way that you might wonder whether it is 
her, who's the older sister. Seeing as she's been wholly evil since the moment she <laughs> met her. So you're not necessarily ready to be like, oh, sympathetic Sybil. So she's like, could be anyone you don't know. But once she reaches that part of her story, you can see how hurt and revolted she is. Which is funny that the memory still pains and disgusts her, even though she's been willingly eating, eating human flesh Actively for centuries consuming now. <laughs> thousands of people now it's like girl at a certain point i know like yeah she's at some like, point you sister... started enjoying it clearly she acclimated at some stage but she's like but it's still wrong that she tricked me and took the choice away from me was <laughs> <laughs> like if she'd asked me maybe i would have said yes oh my god their sister's for real and i hate it but i love it she's so mortified by what she has unknowingly done that she decides to fling herself off a cliff and die. Unfortunately, at the moment of her death, Arcadius appears. <laughs> like, hi! Hi, my little besties. Whether he'd been watching them that whole time, I don't know what, what he'd been doing in the interim. Long story short, he ropes them into being his, what would the word be? I guess employees. He's like, hey, you guys are psychic. I'm psychic. One of you has clearly proven that she's willing to do horrible things to survive. And the other one is in the process of dying. So here's a proposal. I will make you immortal, uh, keep you young and beautiful forever, amplify your pre-existing powers if you will devote yourselves to luring people to hell for me and then you get to eat their flesh i assume that silas's hell had already existed so i don't see why he suddenly needed employees silas oh silas sorry kate <laughs> <laughs> i was like i mean silas is in a hell but i wouldn't call it his <laughs> hell you know not his hell kate i i assume that Cade's hell had already existed and I don't see why he suddenly decided that, oh, I, I need <laughs> employees. I need yeah, interns. Why is it that Cade <laughs> wants like agents in the world actively feeding his hell when it seems that people who die that are destined for his hell go there anyway? Georgie, for example, who was in an accident and clinically died was going to go to hell. Yeah. So does it feed him? To what end? Yeah, his his motivations are, are, are also not explained. Like, he, he does specifically state that he feeds off these souls, whatever that Whatever is. that means. But, but it's, like, it's like, but why? What, what is it doing for you? I guess it's the principle, right? And this is something I wanted to get into about Kate because his whole thing of this psychic scream that created this hell world was from a desire for vengeance against the people that he assumed were good, but in fact turned out to have the capacity for evil so his whole thing is like i now exist to punish evil people evil in quotes being whatever he determines is evil so is it purely as an extension of that that he's like i don't want to wait for them to get to me on their own time i need to speed this up because this isn't as fulfilling as it could be for me i want to punish more people at a faster rate is that all it is maybe yeah he was like let's let's industrialize this process <laughs> truly he's like industrial revolution into hell thoughts i feel like we could really make something happen here he's a hell capitalist that's... oh no <laughs> that's what it is that's fascinating because it's like there's no big plan when he comes to mystic falls beyond yeah i need people to get me more souls that's it that's all he wants and it's wild because it's like 
decade, I mean, the longer people live, you know, the higher chance they have of maybe influencing other people to be bad or having children who might be bad. You could have more souls. And the show specifically seems to work on this principle of, oh, no, once you've done something bad enough to earn entry into Cade's hell dimension, you cannot redeem yourself. There's nothing you can no, do. No, never. You are going there. Never. You can never turn the tide. You can never balance the scales. Not just that. But the capacity to do bad, it's Minority Report on steroids, right? Because by Cade's standards, anyone with a capacity to do a bad thing is eligible for hell. Such that later in the show, they start forcing people into situations to make a decision to do the quote bad thing. And then they're damned. So it's like these metrics start to fall apart. Or rather start to go down a slippery slide into like, I want it all now. Again, hell capitalist. It's never enough, right? It's <laughs> endless perpetual growth. I won't stop until every soul is in my hell dimension. And my thing is, if once you've crossed that threshold, once you've done something bad enough that you're going to hell, you're going to go there no matter what. Why does Cade need the sirens to quickly kill you and speed up the process? It's not like he's saying, oh... Kill them before they redeem themselves. It's like, right. no, they're, they're going to come anyway. They're coming there anyway. <laughs> also, I'm, I'm curious about like the mechanical and metaphysical structure of how exactly he gets them. There's a lot of discussion in the season about deals and wages and, and exchanges, right? In whatever capacity, whether it's well done or not, neither here or there. But it seems that... Through no contract with or discussion with a person who's going to be going to hell, they just go to hell when they die. Why is it that Cade, from his extra-dimensional psychic realm, can just decide that you're going to hell, buddy? I'm sorry. It's not from, like, nature, right, as we understand to exist in this world, to hold some sort of balance between what is right and what is wrong, what lives and what dies, what's good and what's evil. It's just one man who was a psychic that died and is now lording vengefully over the mortal world. And he can just do that. Why? He can just do that. He's so powerful that even when Ketsia specifically creates the other side to trap all supernatural people who die quote unquote with unfinished business but sometimes it's, it's just if you die even after she does that he can still decide that no you're not going to the other side he will block yeah, you from passing through Catherine. the anchor he can just <laughs> snatch you up why is he that powerful in death i get that he's a powerful psych he was a powerful psychic in life but death seems to have made him more powerful he can transform two psychic girls into like immortal beings with siren songs and, and like transmogrified bodies forms. yeah like why can he do this because he's the devil is the thing, right? It's just that he is the devil, so he can do all these things because the story states that he's the devil. Yeah, the story states that he's the devil. It treats him, it treats that title like suddenly he is like the Judeo-Christian devil, even though he clearly right. isn't. He's, he's not old enough to be the devil of those religions, firstly. Like, not even the time that, that he appeared. But somehow the story is like, oh yeah, hellfire and all these beliefs that must exist in their world the way they do in ours. And the devil and all of it. Like, it's, it's all been him the whole time. He's where it comes from. And also, the concepts of that, right, as discussed by mortal people. Christianity doesn't get to ancient Greece until, like... 
the first century AD. Like ancient Greece is very much of Greek gods, the Greek gods that you know to be. Yeah. And then at some point later, post the ancient Greek period, is when like St. Peter or whoever shows up in Greece and spreads the good word. So it's like even the concept of the devil in a real life sense isn't something that should matter in the time of Cade. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> it's really weird. I don't I don't know why they chose to like if you wanted him to be the devil, you could have just said even if you didn't want to say he's the devil, you could have just said I don't know, he was a demon or he was already extra dimensional or when he died he went to a pre-existing realm and then he was able to take it over or something. He hostile took over Thanatos or something or freaking because they don't want to play in that actual ancient Greek space, right? They don't want to be like Greek gods exist, but they want to be like oh sirens. I mean, it's like they, 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 <laughs> there's, right. there's names in demonology that you could just drop if you want to use them in your story. He could have just been like a dark like figure from ancient Greek history or similar to one. But they wanted to do the devil and hell. So even the concept of, of hell, right? This eternal torment, suffering, fire and brimstone is a very Christian concept. Yeah. Like the idea of hell as exists of a burning, fiery death. And I understand in the story that this is because Cade himself was burned to death. But that imagery of hell is a Christian one. In Greek history, it's like the five stages of afterlife or whatever, the five places of the underworld, all this like other like cool, interesting stuff. And there is like a purgatorial element within that, but it's like hell? Not really. Yeah. And also kind of depends on what you did in life, not on yes. what one guy decides. <laughs> anyway, we've gone on too long. No, it's, it's worth pointing out that Cade, like many concepts in this show, was weirdly handled when it comes to the supernatural stuff. It, it often feels like Vampire Diaries wants to have supernatural creatures who are that in name only. Like the vampires, totally. The werewolves, absolutely. The witches, they can be boring, but they are witches. But it's like the more they branch out into other stuff, the more it's like... Mm -hmm. Is that how the mechanics of your world work? Like, the sirens? Okay. You're a the, siren. Like, uh, like, you're just a conventionally attractive woman who swims every now and then. <laughs> even the swimming disappears after, like, one episode. They don't even... She gets over it You don't so see fast. them in the water after that. <laughs> <laughs> but while Sybil is telling the story to Stefan, I believe Georgie is snooping around uh, Alaric's house. And acting sus. Yes. Which I guess is supposed to make the audience believe she's an antagonist. She shows up and stabs Stefan. She lets Sybil out. And the scene ends there. And I guess you're supposed to think, oh, so that's her sister. This other brunette white she woman. She traps Rick in the in the basement of the Armory 2 in the caves that they've been exploring. Oh yeah, yeah. She just full on seals them in there and you're thinking, oh, okay, so this girl is just a liar. She's the other siren. Cool. Yeah, it. at that point they were convinced that Georgie's the other siren. <laughs> <laughs> we later see that the other siren is actually none other than Celine, the the quote-unquote hot nanny as they keep calling her. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline is like real upset about it and it's like girl you're not engaged to Rick anymore. Yeah, so. I'm like I'm like I don't understand why you're like isn't the hot nanny thing usually like when someone is in a relationship? <laughs> 
And I'm like, this is a single father. Like, he's not married yeah, to I think you. it's... F I mean, he shouldn't bang his nanny, obviously. That's very unprofessional. But I think you're too worried about it. Celine <laughs> <laughs> yes. reveals that she had mind-controlled Georgie to free Sybil. And then she murders her and eats her alive. She snaps her neck with her bare hands. It's really the only instance of, of super strength that we see the sirens display. Like... They're durable, but they're never like exerting force in a they don't particularly usually need impressive. To. I, I guess I don't say that to dissuade your point. I'm saying that to be like, yeah, I guess they don't ever really sort of like physically impose on anyone, and it could be because they can just sing to subdue people. Why they can? Why get my hands dirty? You know. <laughs> Later on, we see that they can even shut down a person's mind, like. Professor X style and just kill them with oh, thought. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. When does, <laughs> I thought it was really cool. <laughs> even, even Silas never never took it that far. She devours Georgie's corpse, or at least most of it. <laughs> she just kind of bites in a little bit, and then she looks up at the camera and she has some like blood smeared on her face, which I, I think I, I said in the first episode, <laughs> let them eat a man on screen. So I guess they did, technically... <laughs> But it was like, it was still kind of lackluster, I'm not going to lie. It didn't give the effect that I wanted of like shock and horror and gruesomeness. I thought it was interesting that Arcadius gave these two women immortality, which in this universe comes with automatic agelessness. It doesn't always. In fact, there's a Greek myth of someone asking, I think it was a goddess, asking for her lover to be made immortal and forgetting to ask to also make him ageless. So he just gets older and older and older. <laughs> Not being able to die. Oh, honey. God, what do they call it? R rabbit's foot? That's not right. Monkey's paw. Monkey's paw. That's what it is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> rabbit's foot is a good luck charm. <laughs> yes, quite the opposite, I would say, of a monkey's paw. <laughs> Listen, I can't keep track of animal body parts and what luck they bring. <laughs> So I just, I, I found it interesting that, you know, in, in this universe where immortality, you know, it's taken for granted that immortality also means agelessness. And we were told in, you know, the Silas era that any being in this world that is immortal needs to feed on blood to survive because, you know, lifeblood yeah. is the thing that maintains the magic of immortality. The sirens just eat flesh. I guess there's blood in the flesh that they're eating. So I guess that Yeah, counts. it's just like an added bonus. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> I guess the sirens predate any version of immortality that Silas is referring to, though. Also, they weren't transformed by a witch. They were transformed by a dead psychic. So do all oh, the rules yeah. go out the window? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, Sybil was technically already dead, but Celine was alive. So one of them is undead, but the other one isn't. Honestly, always winning in that dynamic. I don't know why later on she's, like, baffled that Sybil's mad. <laughs> <laughs> don't understand she's it. so hurt she has this cute like doe-eyed face and she's like sister why are you mad at me <laughs> why why would you cross me like this um bitch you made me eat human flesh for years <laughs> and killed myself and then the devil brought me back what do you want from me <laughs> apparently he considered them both so evil that they made the perfect servants and if not a uh, victim for him. And I'm like, but Sybil didn't know she was eating human Sybil flesh. So she's know. not evil. What is her crime? Naivete? Innocence? I guess she was helping to kill the sailors. Even yeah. She didn't know she was eating them. But then again, it's like as a child being led by another child. Like what is evil when you're eight? 
Cade, come on, man. They were slightly older than eight, Sanji. <laughs> Those were adolescents. I can't do this. Your inability to read children's age shines through again. Listen. Those girls were like 12 and 15. There are real world religions that are like, at a, at a certain point in your childhood, you are free from, like, from you're the fine. punishment that waits for you after death. The real like evil is the people who failed you. The adults who didn't raise you right or left you to the dogs. Like, the real failure is the village who exiled two children. Or two different villages. We don't know where they came from. What do we do? <laughs> But elsewhere at this point, Damon and Matt Donovan have met up with Matt Donovan's long-lost father, Peter Maxwell, and they have discovered uh, an heirloom from the Maxwell family that is this little metal ball. Smaller than a, than a bowling ball, but bigger than a tennis ball, I'd say. It's like a bocce ball. Like a shot put. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't know what that was, so I had to find something in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a sports thing. <laughs> okay. That object comes into play later on in the season. We we find out that it is... We're back to the traditional vampire diaries. Hunt for the mystic object that is integral to the plot. The moonstone. Hunt for the MacGuffin. In the next episode, the group is mainly mourning Tyler because, you know, Damon killed him. And at, by this point, Matt has discovered his body. And Alaric leaves the twins with Celine, who by now the audience is like, Oh, she's... No, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Dramatic irony. And because Alaric has to be somewhere, Dorian becomes a character again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also because Georgie's dead. <laughs> Georgie is quote-unquote missing. And Alaric, in, in true Mystic Falls gang fashion, is like, I'm not going to tell this human that there are supernatural threats and, you know, allow him to understand how high the stakes are and protect himself. I'm just going to be vague and say, hey, ring this tuning fork every hour on the hour. It's part of my research. It's not because I have an evil psychic siren trapped in the basement and this is weakening her. You just keep doing this. It's very important that you don't stop, but I'm not going to make you realize that this is a life or death dangerous situation and then a lark goes off and unfortunately while this is happening damon goes and speaks to sybil at some point he in a moment of anger like hits the glass that she's behind and cracks it and once he's gone dorian leaves because he didn't know what he was doing was important dorian leaves because a cop calls him and says we found georgie yes elsewhere in the episode celine has tricked the twins into performing some sort of magical ritual for her. She gets a goldfish, a dead goldfish. I don't know why the carnival would have a dead goldfish there. Maybe it died while it was waiting there and they didn't notice. I think notice. it died in the thing. Yeah, <laughs> they don't keep them very... It was in like a plastic bag yeah. with water in it. It's not like the, the most <laughs> conducive living Nemo. experience. She gets a dead fish for the the twins who are, who are three-year-olds. They definitely aren't being played by three-year-old actresses, but they are three in, in the text, and they're meant to be young and impressionable. So she tricks them into being fine with this dead fish and saying, hey, this fish that I just got you that's dead, even though there's like a bunch of them behind us that are alive, let's go have a funeral for it. Let's honor the dead. And she tells them her own sanitized version of Arcadius. This man who exists in the afterlife, who likes when people, you know, honor the dead by doing specific things with their body. Like, we're going to set this fish on fire on this huge pile of wooden stuff. Don't look under it. There's nothing there. Yep. We're just going to set this fish on fire. Don't worry about it. <laughs> 
she allows the twins to siphon some of her magic so that they can cast the spell because they're siphoners and they can't do magic on their own. They say incendia, which is a phrase she's taught them, and they light the fish on fire. Celine walks away with the twins after burning the fish and says, you did perfectly, this is exactly what I wanted. And then the camera swings back around to the funeral pyre, pans down, and you see that underneath all this wood that the fish is currently burning on top of, is a human body part with the tattoo that we know Georgie has. And it's like, yikes! Georgie was under there! Yeah. <laughs> the, the cops eventually find her, and this is wild. I don't know whether Georgie has no family or friends that are alive or reachable, <laughs> but her emergency contact, one of the contacts for if she was found deceased, was the guy it's she's... The, her fellow intern? What?! <laughs> Who she just met, like, three months ago. I'm like, you guys have known each other for one summer. Your relationship does not extend beyond the professional. Even when you're at work, she's flirting with your boss the whole time. Why are you like, on her when have you been hanging out? <laughs> but because, because Dorian is on that contact list, he leaves. And he leaves the tuning fork. Because obviously he was like, this is just some experiment Priorities. my boss wants me to do. Like, now I'm being told that something's going on with my coworker. I don't think they tell him that she's dead over the phone. But he's, he's clearly aware that something is up because she's been missing for days now. So he leaves and because now her psychic powers and just, you know, her mental state is not being disrupted, Sybil is able to escape the armory by, I guess, singing at a very cool frequency that <laughs> makes the crack in the glass spread out until the whole thing shatters. I actually like that, and I think they don't do enough with it, with the singing. Like, where they play with frequencies, like, where it's like, I can use this to affect physical things. Solid. Yeah, that, that, that could have been cool. And it would have been an easy effect, I think, to do, since, you know, most of the, most of the magic in this show is just movement anyway. <laughs> like... Also, like, if she sang, if she could sing and then, like, start making people bleed out of their ears, you know? She does that already with her psychic manipulations, where I, I think we see someone bleeding out of their nose. She can, She's yeah. like, well, I could just make that happen. But it would be cool to have, like, the sound aspect. Because, again, in mythology, it's like, in the Odyssey, what's his name? Odysseus, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name in the Odyssey? He gets his sailors to plug their ears with wax. So it's like, as long as you don't hear her. So that tangibility of the sound, it's like, it's nice when you play with that. Meanwhile, early on in the episode, Matt and his little gang who have been digging through stuff have discovered a picture of the sirens from this ancestor of Enzo, I guess it is. It's a drawing of Celine and a drawing of Sybil, but unfortunately the characters, I think it's Matt and his father, Mac, uh, Peter Maxwell and Dorian, they have never met Celine or Sybil, so they don't know that, oh, these th this one person is a Lorix nanny. <laughs> um, yep. But at the end of the episode, Caroline is talking to Matt about the twins and showing the showing him pictures, and then she shows Matt a picture of the twins with Celine, and Matt is like, "That's the siren. That is a big bad bitch. You have her in your house. What are you doing?" Naturally, Caroline races over to go and save her kids, but they are nowhere to be found. They are long gone. Celine has disappeared with them. So in the next episode, they're still looking for the twins. Alaric is being questioned by the police. Caroline and Stefan are able to use, you know, their vampire compulsion to like speed things along, you know, make this a priority, etc., etc. Caroline, she's also like, you know, Damon is under Sybil's control. They believe at that point that Sybil and Selene are in cahoots. And she, she tells Stefan, make no mistake, like, I'm going to go after my kids. And if your mind control brother gets in my way, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> it's not even a question. I will 
barrel through him to get my children. I love that moment. It's a great moment. But little does she know that Sybil actually has very little to do with Caroline's kids <laughs> going missing. She is at that point with Celine, but that's because they've just met up incidentally. How did they just rock up by her and she's got the twins? They meet in like a <laughs> diner or something? She's just sitting in a diner. Sybil shows up with her Blackie Damon. <laughs> They're like arm in arm, like old lovers. I hate them. <laughs> she is very, she's she's very physically affectionate with Damon for someone who, one of the few women of the show who doesn't seem sexually interested in him. Thank God. She describes him as being hot in like a, a taunting way to Bonnie to like ask if they ever hooked up, which god the 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 fact that we have to endure that scene but anyway doesn't she also tell bonnie that bonnie is attractive that's fascinating because i didn't mention it in the lily episode because it wasn't important to lily but there is a scene or rather an episode where bonnie and nora hildegard are vibing this is after nora and mary louise have like broken off their engagement because mary louise sided with julian there's a moment where nora is showing interest in bonnie and bonnie at the time without a love interest seems to be like kind of feeling it but it never goes anywhere so it's interesting you bring out that the siren is like hmm, i can have a little bit of a lizzie vibe about bonnie <laughs> bennett she's cute she's it's like, from ancient what, greece what are we doing with that no one was straight <laughs> <laughs> yeah you do make a point though that like even her photoshopping herself over Elena in his memory is a practical move right it's to ensure that he's fully under control but not because she's like interested in him romantically or sexually it's control and speaking of control she still has enough of a hold over enzo that she is psychically frying his mind while sitting in the diner and speaking to her sister and damon now this is the point in the story in which they are finally reunited it's been over a century since sybil and celine have seen each other and while celine thinks that oh hey sister like it's nice to see you. Remember, you know how I helped you escape by sending Georgie there, etc., etc. Sybil is having none of it. Sybil is like, oh, no, I hate your guts. You left me <laughs> to rot for a hundred years. And that's after you tricked me into being a cannibal. Like, we don't have a good relationship. I don't know what you thought was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what fantasy world you're living in, in in your head where none of that happened and we're cool. <laughs> but I assure you, it's not this and one. And Celine is like, no, I've been, I've been trying to atone for the stuff I did. And the only reason I left you in the armory is because I had a brief opportunity to escape. And they, they name drop another St. John who apparently was enough of a fool to let her slip away. And she's like, I couldn't go back because, you know, the armory, that entire organization was looking for me. I had to lay low. And I'm like, you did? I thought you could siren people with your song. You, you've shown the ability to control multiple people at once. Also, the fact that they were emphasizing the moment whatever's in the armory gets out, we're all screwed, implies that they were all afraid the moment a siren gets out, we're all getting sirened, and it's over. <laughs> I guess maybe she was weak, perhaps. but once she'd fed enough, she could easily yeah. have come back and sirened every St. John under the sun to get her out. She's just, she's making up excuses and Sybil is having none of it. Sybil is like, I don't care what you've been doing for a hundred years. I was in pain and starving in this immortal body and you were doing who knows what. Celine explains to her that, oh no, I've been, you know, cooking up a plan. And that plan involves these two Siphoner twins. I'm going to groom them to be the next two employees for Arcadius. And I'm going to ask him to release us from not just our business deal with him, but also the eternal damnation of it all. 
he can have these two kids as his stooges. Yep. While Sybil and Damon like make fun of her for thinking that Arcadius would want to work with a with a pair of three year olds, she says, No, 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 no. I'm playing the long game. Like you blew my cover. I was I was gonna be looking after these girls for like at least another decade. And only when they were like teens was I gonna present them to Cade. And I was like, oh shame. There's Doesn't not seem another to time be working pretty you. well. <laughs> <laughs> no one told Celine this was the last season of the show. Mm-mm. While Sybil is being catty with her sister, she's still torturing Enzo. She's disemboweling it... him. It's pretty wild. Yeah, she's she's in his mind, seemingly making him relive the pains of the Augustine era. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone's favorite storyline. <laughs> It's having an effect on his physical body as well, as the psychics seem to be capable of. Maybe that's the gamut of their telekinesis. <laughs> they can make your body fall apart from the inside by attacking your well, brain. Well, that doesn't have to be telekinesis, right? Because our body is known to have psychosomatic reactions sometimes. That's true. Where a figment of the mind manifests as an ail of the body. He's, he's bleeding pretty profusely for someone who can regenerate, so I have to assume. <laughs> yeah, the mind will do some crazy shit. It could very easily be stopping his body from... From regenerating like actively preventing the part of his mind that controls his regeneration process every bodily function is just like a whim of some neurotransmitter some automatic process that you don't ever think about consciously someone with enough psychic potential can just go eh stop that it's giving x-men it's one of the things i don't like about the x-men where often often a telepath will just be able to essentially shut down any bodily function of anything with an organic brain including some of their powers and i'm like "Mm." there are things like telepathy is about thought (laughs) and there are things in the body that we don't think about like you don't have to think about growing (laughs) you just grow but sybil does make a point of like my power is very particularly suited to the unconscious and the subconscious as well. Maybe a psychic like Silas or even Cade wouldn't be able to do that, but the way sirens work in this world, they can. I assume that Cade can do anything they can do because they were all psychics to begin with. Dead psychics are, are in fact, like reality warpers. <laughs> extra dimensional being. He is literally an extra dimensional being. He's Mixus Spidlet, essentially. <laughs> he can just kind of do whatever he wants. <laughs> I was not Uh, expecting that. Yeah, that's a deep pull. (laughs) Flawless pronunciation of his name as well. Uh, Thank you. That name has an insane spelling. (laughs) So Stefan uh, digs around inside Enzo's mind with his own psychic powers, which, as you said, they they suddenly remember that vampires can do that this season. And he figures out where Sybil is, that she's in a diner in Oakwood. And Caroline and Alaric are sent to go and find them. Meanwhile, there's an Amber Alert that goes out. And everyone, everyone in the diner gets one on their phone. I don't know how Amber's alert, um, Amber Alerts work. We don't have them in our country. One thing you can trust about the US of A, a little white child goes missing, oh, <laughs> the entire country will be up in <laughs> So that Amber Alert spread quick. And people immediately recognize that Celine and these two children are the ones that are being searched for. Sybil is like, well, well, it looks like you've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> but I, I love that even though Sybil is being snarky, she's well aware that Celine can handle this. Like, she's like, yeah, you, you've got the power to, to, to deal with this situation, but it, it's just funny to watch your plan keep running into obstacles over and over. <laughs> yeah, she's sitting there like watching, oh, wow, what a shame. You have to clean up your mess. You've got to exert some effort. Oh tragic again i feel like she should have a mimosa in her hand and just, like, <laughs> sip as she watches 
I guess the the offering of Georgie's corpse that Celine had made to Cade was just meant to be like the first in a long line of sacrifices she was going to make to him as she prepared the twins. Maybe it was to ingratiate them into the process, right? She is, for all intents and purposes, grooming the twins. So yeah. maybe it's to get them used to, like, the process of what she does. Later on, while she's traveling with Celine and Damon in tow, says that they need to summon Cade, so I guess that wasn't in itself a summoning ritual. They, they say that they need to summon him. They'll need a, a decent-sized body of water, and a bunch of people to kill. <laughs> a couple of human sacrifices. No big. They stop at a motel that happens to have a pool and some seedy-looking residents. What Celine does points. that mean? It, they say that, I mean, they're all evil, right? It's Damon, Sybil, and Celine. So it's like, no moral qualms there. But like, why is that... Uh, justification enough that like yeah we can sacrifice these guys <laughs> Celine specifies that oh they need to be bad people for the sacrifice because Kate doesn't like good souls and Damon is like well look around these people are not the best and I'm like Damon how do you know that you're a how being do you know? very prejudiced because they're at a motel okay god you fall on uh, he just times. looked at the way they were dressed and he was like mm, these people are shady <laughs> they do manage to summon Arcadius does he come there in physical form or is he sort of like a psychic projection I have to assume a psychic projection because later when he is physical, they are surprised. Yeah, they're like, so oh I my god, he's, he's astral here. projecting. He must be astral projecting from hell. Yeah. <laughs> Long distance. Which is such a state. He was say. on the call. <laughs> astral projecting got, from hell. Got on the horn from hell. He pulled up the team's meeting, said, hello guys, I'm broadcasting from my bedroom, what do you need? Full suit, of course, because, come on. Damon has decided that, hey, I'm, I'm still obsessed with this whole escape hell thing, so I have an idea. Now that I've realized that Celine is saying, Cade might trade her and Sybil's servitude up for some other pair of people, I think that maybe I should present myself as a potential candidate with my brother in tow, even though at that stage, Stefan isn't even there. But <laughs> my brother who I'm perfectly happy to sell out. I can't stand him. Damon's humanity <laughs> is off at this point for whatever that's worth. Oh, like that would have done shit. <laughs> God. They seem to emphasize that Damon's humanity is off this season as he does things that he has done before with his humanity fully intact. I don't care. I don't think he'd sell Stefan out to the devil, though. That's and also, fair. it's more about him avoiding hell. I guess Stefan being there was just going to be like, oh, he, Cade likes to work with siblings. So, <laughs> Sybil, surprisingly, it's revealed at the end of the episode, is working with Damon in this regard. She later on reveals to Celine that, oh, yeah, I, I hijacked your business deal. <laughs> <laughs> I stole your plan. I copied your homework. And I presented your science project as my own. I told Kate that, yeah, I have a pair of siblings here. The Ripper of Monterey, his terrible brother. And they're, they're already vampires. They already have bloodlust and immortality and built-in superpowers. And mental abilities of their own. You can use them and you don't have to wait, you know, until these children grow up or however long that's going to take. And in return, you free me and only me. <laughs> <laughs> Free me from your servitude and my debt to hell. And <laughs> Celine is gutted. Celine is like, How could you do this to me? You cut me out? And Sybil's like, Bitch, I have been saying from the moment I saw your face again, who do you think I am? It was giving like 
corporate drama. I loved it. <laughs> She's like, you cut me out of the deal? I was negotiating for both of us to be free to show you how sorry I am for everything I've ever done that's upset you. And someone is like, that's nice. <laughs> Enjoy okay, hell. real sweet. But I did it myself. Good luck, honey. <laughs> Hope the fires keep you warm. And Sybil says that while I wanted my freedom, I also wanted to stay immortal and have my siren powers. So, yeah, that was that was the deal. I get to stay immortal and I get to stay a siren. <laughs> you get squat. <laughs> oh, I love it. So petty. I love it. I love it. I did feel sorry for Celine in that moment. I was like, you know what? Whatever other terrible things she's done, it does seem as though she did genuinely care about Sybil. And she really wanted yeah. to make amends with, with this one person. <laughs> if she no was trying little bit she was like i know we've had our differences but this is our ticket out girly <laughs> just like on the island we've got to stick together and survive Sybil looked her dead in the eye and was like look i ain't about that michaelson shit that's the other show <laughs> where siblings can screw each other over always and forever Sybil said me eternally that's my motto thank you very much so we can screw each other over and always always forgive she's like no 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 you must be thinking of someone else <laughs> she was like you must be thinking of the other immortal girl with a vaguely australian accent <laughs> that's <laughs> not me <laughs> Yeah, we're kind of cardinal opposites, actually. She's at the whim of every man. I make men my <laughs> servants. Okay. okay. Don't get us twisted. Not too much on Rebecca. Not too much on Beck. <laughs> I say it with love. That girl needs to wake up. Thousand uh, years old. My God. The next episode is a Christmas special. And the title card has the little snowflake in place of the usual drop of blood, which I don't think we'd seen since the night that Tyler's mom was drowned by Klaus <laughs> in season four. Oh my, God. oh my God. That's so tragic. It's in this episode that another trademark TVD retcon is introduced into the story where we find out that Celine and Cade had met Stefan Salvatore years and years and years ago when he was in his early 1900s Ripper days. Ritcons are so easy when you have mental powers, I suppose. And when you have people who've been alive for centuries, I guess. It's like, yeah, it just happened in, in one of those years where I didn't explicitly say what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the hundreds of years of, of my history that I haven't divulged to you in the story. It's funny, this is kind of a mirror for me of like the whole Damon thing where it's like, oh, the worst thing Damon ever did was kill a pregnant woman. Where it's now like, oh, the worst thing Stefan ever did was like slaughter this village on Christmas. And I'm like, okay, because murder is somehow worse on Christmas Day. <laughs> I don't think they cared that much that, like, they were dying on Christmas. I think they would have been sad to die on any day. You know? What the hell are you talking about? I wouldn't have done this to them, not on Christmas. It's like, because? <laughs> In your Ripper Fugue state, you had the cognizance that, oh, traditional American values. <laughs> you let people enjoy Christmas. What? Not it's really. It's really silly to me. It's just like, Stefan, you've done terrible things. You've done really bad things. When you were running around with Klaus for a few Listen. weeks. Later on, when you were running around with Klaus again. Traumatized Elena by threatening to drive her off the bridge where her parents died. <laughs> you that was rough. <laughs> <laughs> God. You were perfectly willing to kill either Bonnie or her mom to save Elena that one time when Esther was channeling the Bennett Witch bloodline. Yeah, willing. Didn't do it physically, but you were in on the plan. I just, I find it hard to believe that, oh, in your mind, this was the one thing that A, is considered one of the worst things you ever did, and B, even you didn't believe you could have done because the memory was removed and you were like, no, I wouldn't do that. 
no me <laughs> i guess because technically even when he's a ripper right he doesn't have his humanity off he is just controlled by this addiction so yeah. he has that remorse afterwards of like that like anguish of like i just killed a bunch of people and i couldn't do anything to stop it as opposed to all these season three events where i think most of the time he has his humanity off yeah i guess there's a difference there but the christmas thing is stupid selene appears to him uh i guess she was just wandering around because teleportation is definitely not one of the siren's powers so <laughs> she was nearby and she's getting ready to I guess, do they eat vampires? Was she going to eat him and then deliver him to Cade? Or just kill him and deliver know. him to Cade? I don't know. Would vampires taste like like leftovers that have been in the fridge a bit too long? <laughs> you know? The flavor that once was just isn't really there anymore. And there's this strange, like, fridge quality to it. They taste like preserved meat. They taste like biltong. Yeah. Well, biltong's nice, though. But it's preserved. There we go. Maybe maybe vampires are just like... <laughs> yeah, they're know. the biltong of siren food. <laughs> <laughs> How did we get here? Anyway. Uh, I promise everyone we're completely sober. We're just... <laughs> we're sober, <laughs> unhigh, very normal people <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon. Everything's fine. You try binging this show and retaining your sanity. It's not easy. And just not losing your mind entirely. <laughs> <laughs> So before she gets ready to deliver Stefan in this 1900s flashback to Arcadius, Celine digs around inside his mind and then she finds that, oh no, at his core, he's a good person who feels remorse. She takes pity and she decides, I'm going to help you bury this memory and I'm not going to kill you and give you decayed. Which I'm like, okay, Celine. Okay, I guess. Between the two sisters, I mean, I know you tricked your sister into being a cannibal. There'll always be that, but you seem to have some mercy. Yeah, you seem to have some mercy, but Sybil just uh, does not have a drop-off. Sybil does not care. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't going to benefit her at all. She just did it. There was no ulterior motive. Mm. In the present, it's a Christmas dinner party that the main group is having. Caroline is having a party with her kids and Alaric. Long story short, at the end of their whole, you know, being missing arc, once they were found. Wait, have they been found? Yeah, um, Stefan, well, when Damon makes that deal, Oh, yes, yes, right, yes. When they, when, when they make the deal. Yeah, when they make the deal, the kids are returned. Stefan brings the kids back to Caroline. It's this really sad exchange. And then he tells her, I've got to serve Kate for the rest of my immortal life. Bye-bye. <laughs> we have one day left. I thought he initially said it was going to be one year. That was later. Oh, that was later. Oh, that was the humanity yeah. thing. Yeah, okay, at okay, its okay. inception, the deal is to serve him for the rest of their lives. So Caroline is having a lost Christmas with the kids because Alaric, in a moment of anger, has told her that, you know what, well, before he got the kids back, he was like, when I get them back, I'm taking away from all this vampire nonsense, including you. But then later on, when they get the kids back and the dust is settled, Caroline is like, you know what, I agree. It is dangerous for them to be around me and all the vampire stuff that haunts me. Even though I'm like, Alaric, you have a bad track record with vampires too. That predates you meeting any of these people. But that's true. <laughs> but you know what he's retired is the thing largely when he got his kids he got out of the business he moved away from town and for a good three years they were okay and then the mystic falls gang brought their shit back into the mix so he allows caroline this one last christmas with the kids and then matt and his father come along because uh, matt is reconnecting with his dad and damon and sybil invite themselves over because damon yeah. when he's <laughs> When Damon has no humanity, he just likes to psychologically torture people. 
He just likes to bother everyone with his bullshit when nobody wants to see him. I will say this about them just like gatecrashing the party. Sybil as like the new girlfriend who doesn't fit the family vibe. <laughs> and Caroline as the long-suffering wine mom trying to keep this party together. Their dynamic <laughs> is so good in this episode. It's so hilarious. During the dinner party and all the preparations for it, Caroline is trying to figure out where the tuning fork is because she knows that Sybil has it. She manages to trick Sybil into mentioning where she's been staying because she knows that, oh, you know, this thing is like her one weakness. She'll obviously be keeping it close. She sends Bonnie and Enzo to go and search this house that Sybil has been staying at. At the dinner party, Sybil and Damon are psychologically torturing people by trying to figure out who here deserves to go to hell? It's 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 Matt's dad. He's he's seen as the worst person there. Yeah, he did abandon his kids and his wife. And it seems it seems he abandoned them before Matt was even born. Yep. That was crazy. Like he was in utero. So I was like, wow, so you had like a one or two year old daughter and a wife and an unborn son and you were just like, nah, I So they didn't know him at all. Peter Maxwell, you suck, dude. Yeah. In the meantime, Stefan has been killed by Damon, which is a whole thing. He can't die properly now, even by vampire standards. He dies, he goes all gray and dry and veiny, but his consciousness is transported to some limbo where Cade meets him. Explicitly because of the deal with Cade, they now have this deathlessness that the sirens have. Arcadius's combo with Stefan, it's not especially relevant to the sirens of it all. They're trying to doctor the deal a bit and be like, hey, instead of an eternity of servitude, how about I give you one year with my humanity off? Because you know I'll mow through enough people for a lifetime if you give me one yeah. year with my humanity off. And Kate is like, sure, we can do that. But I'm only saying that because I believe that after a year, you won't want to turn it on. Meanwhile, Alaric's twins, Josie and Lizzie, uh, keep asking about Celine. We find out that there is actually a supernatural reason for this because when Bonnie and Enzo get to the house that Sybil has been staying in and they're snooping around in her absence looking for the fork, they find out that Celine is already there. Enzo can't enter because he's a vampire, but Celine is there mind controlling the residents and she tells the owner to invite Enzo in and she's like, Hey guys! <laughs> I know it's been a while. I'd like to propose a ceasefire. I, <laughs> I was trying to save myself and my sister. She screwed me over. And apparently I'm still going to hell. I'm having my come to Jesus moment. <laughs> yes, I've decided to come to Jesus <laughs> to repent for all of my sins. <laughs> and hope that if I do some good when I die, I won't end up in hell. Which is strange because we've already been told that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. Kate in that episode is telling Stefan, it doesn't matter how much remorse you feel, how much good you've tried to do since this moment, you were set for hell the moment you became the Ripper of Monterey. And Georgie, our, our one-off character, did like one bad thing in her life. And she was destined for hell as well. So yes, the mechanics of the afterlife are harsh in this world. Like, damn. <laughs> Celine basically says, I'd like this to do some good. So I'm, I'm switching teams and joining the good guys. This will be a recurring setting <laughs> for her. In this. And I mean, I mean setting not as in like a place. Setting like a setting on a, like on a, a device. <laughs> Fickle and confused and doesn't know which, which team she's playing for. Oh, I, God. 
But yeah, she's like, listen, I'm trying to atone. I'm making a reverse chronological list of everyone I killed. I don't know what the goal is for that. I guess she's she's just doing what Stefan used to do. Yes. And hoping that that'll help. <laughs> I think maybe that should have been the sign that this atonement thing was BS, right? Because like <laughs> she's just making the list with no context of what Stefan's process was. I'm impressed she remembers all those names, though. She's been alive for dozens of centuries and she she remembers them i'm like wow the lead informs bonnie and enzo that if they want her help because she has the tuning fork that they can use against sybil she she needs them to convince alaric to let her remove her influence from the twins minds she says that even though she's been physically separated from them you must have noticed that they they still seem attached to me and i'm like oh that's why they're being so irritating okay so it's a there's there's a supernatural reason for it. It's very I've nursed them at my breast kind of vibe, right? <laughs> where it's like they imprinted on her. I guess yeah, I guess that exactly. ritual where she had them burn Georgie's corpse in offering to Cade was the start of something because she says, "Oh, I've I've started some process that now needs to be like undone. We can't we can't just leave the the program running in the background. Like we need to like manually <laughs> it's close it." up too much data. <laughs> <laughs> And they do eventually convince Alaric, who is not willing at first, but, like, he comes around at the end of it to, like, yeah, take this shit off my kids. Same. When she, when she initially calls Alaric, she does say, but, hey, I, I'm trying to make amends for the things I've done, and he's not having it. He's like, you know what? I actually do believe you feel bad. So do us all a favor and drop dead. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you could have just said no. Alaric, you ate that. <laughs> I, even even the call earlier because she calls him when he's she's kidnapped his kids to like just lay out the, the oh yeah where he has like, that hey, what's listen. it um he has a taken monologue taken there yes. we go he's, he has his taken monologue <laughs> she's like laying it out to be like listen i know this sucks but here's how it's gonna be and that's that and just make your peace with it and he's like let me promise you something I'm finding my kids, and when I do, however long it takes will determine how much pain you will be in once I found you. And she's actually like shaken by it. She is I shaken. thought that she, was like she hangs up quickly. He's like, "I'm not coming for you. I'm coming for them." <laughs> <laughs> Liam Neeson. Like every now and then, we'll eat like a little thing up, and I'll be like, "All right." All right, white boy. <laughs> he meets up with Celine later on in the episode. And shame, she actually kind of seems sad to see them go, which is weird. I'm like, did you have some genuine affection for these girls who you were about to offer up in place of you and your sister? What were you going to do 15 years from now when you gave them to the devil? Yeah, like, I don't fully understand you celine what's your deal <laughs> that's why i said celine doesn't know what side she's on but meanwhile uh sybil has told peter maxwell that she wants that family heirloom that she knows that he has poor guy has no idea what she's talking about he doesn't know what she means he's like girl i just entered this show i don't know any <laughs> of these words <laughs> i never wanted to come back to this stupid town i don't know what you want from me even back when they wanted that little bocce ball he didn't know what Damon was talking about and he's like god damn it again you keep asking me for things i've never known in my life as she's getting violent and deciding to dig around inside his psyche as well bonnie and enzo show up with the tuning fork that they got from celine and enzo knocks it against an object and rings it and all of a sudden the fork is affecting bonnie as well as sybil yeah so 
I guess Enzo stops. Damon grabs Sybil and escapes. And later on when they discuss this, Enzo is like, oh, why did this thing affect you? It's supposed to weaken the sirens. Bonnie says that, oh, my grams once told me that all witchcraft was like rooted in psychic energy. And before I knew I had magic, I thought that I was psychic. So maybe that's why. And I'm like, okay. So now even though Cade and the sirens are explicitly psychics and their own thing, it's also that witches are psychic enough that this is affecting Bonnie? I guess you could also argue maybe they're saying while she was a psychic but also she was a witch by virtue of her witch ancestry. I don't know what they're saying with this. It feels like another like sloppy world building piece of the season. I'm glad they didn't say that Cade was like Ketsia's (laughs) great great grandfather (laughs) or something. (laughs) The episode ends with Damon opening a gift that he had been given by I think Caroline? Yes. And it turns out to be Elena's necklace, which I do not remember the history of certain objects on this show. It's very hard to keep track of. But I was like, that thing still exists? I swear that necklace was like dumped in the cave that no vampire could enter and Elena never went back to get it. (laughs) How did Caroline get that necklace from a cave that she shouldn't even have known it was in? Yeah. I don't know. It also pisses me off that now this necklace is like attributed to Delena when it's a necklace that's definitely. Oh yeah, that was that also that was pisses garbage. me off. In the next episode, it's a lot of uh, digging through armory stuff where they they find out more things about the people who had known the sirens. There's a uh, some skeletal remains they discovered in previous episodes. They find out that he knew the sirens back in 1790, which I'm like, geez, you guys are just all over the timeline here. He was building a weapon that could be used against them. He being? The the skeletal remains. They call him Harvey. I don't know if oh, that's his real name. Oh, the skeleton name. guy. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the skeleton guy when he <laughs> was alive. I was like, who are we talking about? Oh, the skeleton <laughs> you just mentioned. <laughs> they figure out that he was taking measurements for something. And at first they think, oh, he's, he's taking measurements for one of the sirens. He's talking about, you know, neck and shoulder. But there's also things like lips and tongue and it's like huh and then (laughs) matt's dad is like oh no i know these terms these are the names of the parts of a bell uh neck shoulder lip tongue and he's like i know this because of my my vague background in metalwork and how that's our family legacy and i was like oh so now your family has a legacy but the other day you were whining that you didn't have one but okay uh (laughs) you and matt both (laughs) (laughs) and they figure out that okay if the tuning fork and this metal ball and this bell structure are combined, it should, you know, create this construct that is even more of a sonic weapon to be used against the sirens. I believe Dorian's exact words are, the sound of a tuning fork affects the siren, put it inside a bell, and now imagine that a thousandfold. And I was like, is that mathematical? I don't know. Uh, Probably not. (laughs) They're historians. They are not mathematicians. I (laughs) will not blame them. However, I will say (laughs) no experimental uh, data. I'd like to see the trials, please. (laughs) I'd like to see the trials. I'd like to see the decibels that you measured and decided. Yeah. (laughs) I'd like to see the designs, please. As an engineer who very briefly worked in design, I would like to see it. Elsewhere in the episode, Caroline has gone back to high school, which is... (laughs) Please tell me because I couldn't figure out from that episode what she was doing there. She was coming to interview students as part of her job. Her superior, because I guess she has some, even though she's like lead of her little news show she does have a superior. oh she's still a new <laughs> she's still a news anchor and she's was she yes, doing like a human interest story she still has a job but her 
her superiors have sent her to interview students at the school uh, because she's, I guess, an alumnus. So I was like, mm, I don't know. Okay. But, um, Caroline uh, ends up going to sit in this classroom and she's speaking to some student who tells her, oh, how amazing their new history teacher is and how everyone loves her. And then surprise, it's Sybil. Sybil is the new uh. teacher. <laughs> and I was like, what are all the mean girls in this town going to high school? Where's Rebecca did it? Rebecca does the same thing. They really are cardinal opposites. <laughs> they both go back to school to do this mean girl shtick that no one cares about. <laughs> At least Sybil goes as a teacher, an age-appropriate choice. She did have a plan, though. She reveals that, Caroline, I was the one who mind-controlled your boss to send you here because I need something from you. I have mind-controlled all of your students, and I will kill them without thinking if you don't do what I say. Caroline seems to want to fight back, but I'm like, Caroline, you already know that she can't die, so I don't know what you would be hoping to do like Damon rips her heart out, Sybil's heart, at the end of the previous episode, and even and even he knows that's not a permanent death. She's gonna regenerate from that. So I don't know what Caroline was hoping to do. Sybil reveals that she's been teaching the kids the history of Mystic Falls, and we get a cool little bit of retconned history of the town from her. She asks Caroline, when was Mystic Falls officially founded? Um, when did it become like a town? And Caroline rolls her eyes and says, the town was founded in 1860 when a a Forbes, a Lockwood, a Gilbert, and a Salvatore signed the town charter. I'll get to it in a moment where Sybil is like, actually, but <laughs> this timeline confused me a bit because I was like, wait, so Stefan and Damon became vampires in 1864 when Stefan was 17 and Damon was roughly 25. But this town was founded in 1860, four years before that, when Stefan was... 13 and Damon was already like in his early 20s. Yeah. So where were you all this time? I thought you grew up in this town. Like what? You know what? I guess because they were the settling families. Maybe those flashbacks that we see are like them beginning the process. Caroline specifically says when they signed the charter, right? Which is a big event that's also mentioned in season one. So that must have happened in their lifetime. So I guess it makes sense that they were like colonial families that had settled. Peter does say that like their work is the reason that there's a town to even begin with. So maybe as more tradesmen came in, as more people flooded in, and they were large enough to be a town, that's when the charter was signed. Yeah. And until that point, they were just like a settlement in the area. But Sybil tells Caroline, she's like, actually, no, there were people living in this town at least like roughly a century before. In this season, it's, it's explained that those people were Peter Maxwell's ancestors, by extension, Vicky and Matt Donovan's ancestors, but also the Bennets who were around at that point in time. I assume that they weren't all Bennet witches, that some of them weren't related to Bonnie, because the hundred dead witches, as they are presented to us in season two, are not meant to be related to Bonnie. It's like, oh, Emily was burned on this spot where a hundred dead witches had already died previously, and only in this season do we learn that actually one of those 100 did, which is, was a Bennett, um, Beatrice Bennett. How she's related to Emily is anyone's guess because Emily came from, was it what, Salem? <laughs> so... Yeah, didn't Emily, wait, because then that means Beatrice 
and Emily are around at the same time. Uh, Beatrice burns in the 1700s, like 17-something. Oh, I see, I see. Emily is killed by the founders, uh, John Gilbert and co. in the 1860s after Catherine has faked her death and Seven and Damon have turned and, and assuming out. Emily is a descendant of Beatrice's... She must have, her descendants left town. But she dies in Mystic Falls and Emily comes from outside into Mystic Falls. Yeah, that's yeah, a bit odd. It is odd. I, I guess people can move. I don't know. It's just. Yeah. And come back. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we used to live here and now we're coming back. It's like, okay. Yeah, it's just weird. It's weird because the Bennets are never treated as a founding family. Mm, as we've discussed. The prestige of being a Bennet which is purely in the supernatural world. And it's actually strange that Matt mentions to his father that, oh, it turns out the Maxwell are a founding family of sorts and actually predate the five main ones of the Salvatore, the Lockwoods, the Fells, the Forbes, and Gilberts. And he's like, growing up, all my friends were part of the founding families club, and I always felt excluded. And I was like, all your friends? Bonnie wasn't. <laughs> Not to mention Bonnie's ancestors would have been slaves in your lovely Virginia Enslaved. town. So I don't Enslaved. know why you're crying, Matt. <laughs> Get that blue chip off your shoulder, buddy. You're still a white man in a southern town. Relax <laughs> yourself. So yeah, Sybil reveals that a hundred years ago, a hundred years before 1864, these witches had burned here, which we already knew. But then she she reveals that, oh, this is also linked to the Arcadia siren plot of this season, that those witches had been magically making weapons to be used against the sirens. Now she wants that weapon back. It is a bell that was made by Ethan Maxwell, ancestor of Peter Maxwell and Vicky and Matt Donovan. And she has mind-controlled this class. And she tells Caroline that, okay, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to make these students tie themselves up, douse themselves in gasoline or turpentine or what, whatever, whatever flame accelerant it is. And she's like, uh, if you don't get me what I want, I will make them barbecue themselves on this very spot where the witches died <laughs> twice. They are set up <laughs> on stakes. They are tied up like witches to burn. Caroline now has to figure out where these missing pieces are and get them to Sybil because, yeah, mind control is a really difficult uh, supernatural yeah. power to circumvent. <laughs> Even with vampires, because I'd forgotten or I guess I'd never thought about once someone is compelled by a vampire, you can't as a vampire compel over that. Yeah. Which I think is fascinating. They're searching for this bell, which is in this town. I love how everything loops back to like the same five <laughs> settings. It's the founding family, the Wickery Bridge, Wickery the Bennett Bloodline, <laughs> the Hundred Dead Elena's Witches. Elena's not even here, but we're still on this Wickery goddamn bridge. And we find out that the bell was yeeted off the bridge in one of those bi-monthly founders parades <laughs> that this town is obsessed with. It was yeeted off the bridge by Peter hey, Maxwell. This is what I'm sick of hearing this shit. I'm throwing <laughs> it overboard. And I was like, you know what, Peter? You and me both. He threw the bell off the bridge. Matt tells Caroline that, yeah, the bell was in the water. Decades later, when they dragged the water, um, I think after Elena had gone over the second time, they found the bell and they kept it in storage. So it had been the property of Liz Forbes up until her death. And it is among the stuff that she willed to Caroline after she passed away in season six. One thing I will say about the Peter Peter Maxwell revelation of like, oh yeah, I yeeted the bell off the bridge. He's like, I, I, I hated how, you know, they would get some, some founding family member, quote unquote, one of the official five, to like ring that bell 
while two losers stood on the side dressed as Civil War soldiers. And I was like, no, dressed as Confederate soldiers. Say the Be name. Be specific, Peter. Be specific. Because we saw Tyler Lockwood in that outfit in season one. Okay, you can't, you can't cloud us from the truth. We know what you did. <laughs> and we know that's not the part you were pissed about. You were pissed <laughs> that you weren't ringing the bell. Wild, wild. But, uh... Caroline realizes that, okay, so the bell is going to be with the stuff that I have in storage that I inherited from my mother that I haven't opened yet, and she takes Sybil to go and find it, which means Sybil is no longer in the vicinity with these children who've been mind-controlled. She does, however, tell Caroline that if you try any shenanigans with a thought, I can kill these children. Oh, long-range Bluetooth, baby. I've got Wi-Fi. I've got... (laughs) satellite signal on my psychic shit okay don't cross me. earlier in the episode she she demonstrates the ability to just shut down a boy's brain telling caroline that even you trying to heal him with your blood won't work i, I have switched him off like on a neurological level <laughs> the healing blood won't work but thankfully she's distracted enough that uh matt and his father are able to show up and free the students while she's off with caroline they are unable to find the bell, Caroline and Sybil, because finally Celine got one over on her and stole the bell before she got there. She leaves her a note being like, looking for something, sis? Love Celine. Celine. <laughs> it's at this moment that she has once again shifted because she's not yes. doing this for the benefit of humanity and society now she's going against her sister in revenge she's completely switched her mind. Celine said there is nothing I do better than revenge <laughs> it's really funny it's like Celine you spent the last two episodes convincing me that you you really did feel bad for what you'd done even though you were going to sacrifice two toddlers to Cade in a few years uh, but you felt bad about everything that you that was like essentially outside of your control and how how far things had gotten and you were going to atone if for nothing else simply because you're scared of going to hell and now suddenly you're like actually screw it i'm just gonna screw everyone <laughs> over <laughs> she's not a saint and she's not what you think she's an actress <laughs> What's the new lyric? She was she he was, was a moth to the, the flame. flame. She, she was, was holding, holding the matches. matches. Burning all the souls for Kate. It works. Is it better works. than Revenge the Siren Song? Oh my gosh. We just cracked something. Now I'm wishing that Sybil had been singing a Taylor Swift song in that scene where she breaks the fourth wall. Imagine. Imagine. <laughs> she starts singing Bad Blood. <laughs> She's and she's making Damon murder his friends. That's so cool. In the next episode, Sybil, knowing that she's lost the bell, is like, okay, okay, that's fine. I, I still know where the ball is because I know that Damon has it. He stole it from Peter Maxwell earlier. And she calls Damon. Damon isn't particularly interested because he and Stefan are doing their own thing, going on a killing spree. Because they work for Cade now, not for her. But his psychic connection to her is still deeply ingrained enough that he feels this drive to go and give her what she's asked for, even though he's clearly unhappy about it, and he's telling Stefan, I don't like her, I don't care about her, but I can't get over this conditioning, even though, you know, this Elena necklace is putting a few cracks in my mind control and in my no-humanity setting. It's not enough. So he does go to Sybil. What is Celine up to that episode? Matt and Dorian are using the fork to to distract her. He's Dorian's like using it to unsiren Celine because she killed Georgie. He's like pissed about that. Oh yes, yes. I was like, oh yeah, that that happened. I didn't know you cared, Dorian, right. but okay. 
but then she convinces him to come back to Matt because now they know that the bell is this where they learn the bell comes together in three parts no they already knew that i'm not sure it might have happened before that i like i said this season season is is mind-numbing at points it's amazing that i've been able to recall anything at all (laughs) she convinces dorian of some sort of plan that they have together she dorian matt to essentially take sybil down they're very much like why would we believe that you would help us a similar weapon that can hurt a siren you are one of the two sirens in existence is celine the one who tells them what the bell actually does how it is that it kills a siren when you put it together oh yeah because i doubt she Sybil would have told and suddenly that. and suddenly she's evil again when she's telling yeah. <laughs> exactly she's like teehee i'm an antagonist because <laughs> <laughs> now she's plotting with stefan i think to do this um oh there's so much betrayal yes i think she's working with stefan who is betraying damon who he doesn't trust because he thinks damon's humanity is starting to flicker on damon is still like flashing back to his time with elena because of his necklace at that point this is the Miss mystic pageant which is of course that had to come back stefan starts to be like hmm damon not sure how devoted you are to us being the bad guys right now because then Damon finally confronts Sybil at that Mystic Falls pageant, whatever. And knocks her with that metal ball. (laughs) (laughs) It was was, was satisfying. I'm not going to lie. I was like, she has been so annoying and unhurtable. (laughs) Like, not annoying as a character, just it's annoying when when a villain is Annoying to deal with mechanically, (laughs) yes. Yeah. (laughs) And I was... It was satisfying watching Damon, who she's so convinced is her little precious puppy lapdog lap at dog. this point, mm-hmm. knock her out. And she doesn't get Wax up her. for a while. Oh. <laughs> so this whole time, Damon thinks Stefan's been talking about Sybil's influence over him. But Stefan has been talking about Elena's influence over him. That even as a memory, Elena's holding him back from like Stefan's now plan as a non-humanity servant of K to just tear through all of the world and so he's like well you're not reliable to me anymore and then he just kills him and steals the bocce ball and gives the bocce ball to caroline because he doesn't really care about the bocce ball he just cares about i guess turning all the miss mystics into vampires it doesn't matter that goes into its own thing but the bocce ball is with caroline now stefan properly kills damon since now they can come back from proper death on account of their deal with Cade. and later on caroline properly kills stefan she stakes him (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty satisfying she flings this thing because this whole time she's just been trying to negotiate with him and it's finally just like oh god just die for a couple hours please and then i guess eventually damon just like wakes up but sybil hasn't woken up because at the end he chains her up in like the salvatore cellar or something in that kinky salvatore cellar where everyone (laughs) has been chained up at this point i don't know like maybe maybe matt hasn't been in there (laughs) probably not he's angry at sybil but she's angry at him because she's like what is this relationship if i'm not controlling you yeah how dare you regain agency (laughs) i didn't allow that you're very annoyed that she can't control him she's like she's like he is he is now fully broken free of her control it seems maybe a combination of the anti-siren objects that everyone's been playing with lately and you know the elena of it all but either way sybil's like okay fine then you know if if i can't control you fine (laughs) screw this and she mentally forces him to turn his humanity back on so that he'll feel guilty if you want to be a whiny little bitch so bad take back everything that you did hold it now in your mind 
confronted with the idea that he's going to burn forever for that. <laughs> he's been someone who has lived his life free of consequence, and now that there are consequences, now he's terrified. So that breaks his now brain. Like, oh no. <laughs> I'm going to hell and Elena will be angry at me. And he spends most of the next episode catatonic. Catatonic with a K. That was him in season Uh, one when he he found out Catherine wasn't in the tomb. Nice. (laughs) Various people have to attempt to enter Damon's mind and, and fix him. Caroline goes in with Bonnie and tries to see what's going on, but they can't get through to him. Eventually... They go down and they visit Sybil because anytime you lock someone in the Salvatore cellar, you know that eventually <laughs> either you're going to slip up and they escape or you're going to have to go down and make a deal with them. Yep. <laughs> so Sybil says, yeah, I'll, I'll fix Damon if you give me the bell. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this woman is obsessed with this bell. <laughs> she's so scared of it. She could just leave town. She's no longer beholden to Kane. She's still immortal. Why is she here? Because Celine says the bell will destroy everything in a certain radius with hellfire. Oh, so, yes, with a certain number of miles so yeah why don't you just leave it's the curse no of one Mystic ever falls. leaves Mystic no falls. one ever leaves Mystic <laughs> it's a whirlpool a vortex <laughs> <laughs> once it sinks its hooks into you you're just there forever but yeah i like the scene of her guiding them through damon's mind i like the visual of her standing behind him with her hands on his temples like almost like an, an emma frost she's even wearing full white in that scene <laughs> Just doing like, I'm doing my psychic seance almost to guide your spirits through Damon's psyche. I don't know, it's just a really interesting, cool setup. We get to see psychic manifestations of Vicky Donovan, Sheriff Liz Forbes, Tyler Lockwood. Sheila Bennett. Sheila Bennett. I was like, hmm, you can't convince me that Damon feels guilty about Vicky and Tyler. But Sheila? There's no way Damon blames himself for that. Not only that, how many times has he interacted with Sheila for him to have a convincing subconscious manifestation? (laughs) You can't convince me that that Sheila is not like a microaggression, is not just like racism. Damon's up there in his subconscious putting on a black scent, doing his most stereotypical impression of an older black woman. Like, he didn't know Sheila like that. Maybe when he and Bonnie were bonding in Kai's prison world, for four months, she told him uh, about her grandma. Uh, I guess. Maybe she was like, hey, you know my grandmother who died because you were trying to get Catherine out of a tomb she was never in? Let me tell you about her. You know my grandmother who's the only reason you and I are alive right now? Because she got us out of the yeah, collapsing Yeah, my grandmother who side. saved your life. Still though, I just feel like, I feel like it's psychic blackface and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel good about it. So him being Vicky, is that psychic drag? You know what? <laughs> Why not? Him presenting as Vicky, as Liz. Liz Liz. is actually the highest form of drag because not only is he presenting as a woman, he's presenting as like a butch woman in a police (laughs) outfit. Like there's so many layers to that. That's Uh, fascinating. (laughs) Damon in a blonde wig. And a beautiful... It's the same haircut. He doesn't need to change it. (laughs) Post Liz Forbes' death, Damon's haircut does start to approach like the Liz Forbes look. In honor of her. (laughs) (laughs) Sybil says that, oh, Damon has trapped himself in a mental illusion of hell because he's he's convinced himself that's what he deserves because he feels guilty. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Okay. You'll never convince me of that, but that's the story that's happening, so that's what we accept. Caroline, meanwhile, asks Matt to bring the bell to Sybil. Because in this show, they're constantly just like, oh, hey, you know how we have this enemy? Well, they made a threat. You know, I, I need to do something for them or they have something I want. Let's just 
throw our usual priorities out the window and you bring me this dangerous thing we're trying to keep from them. Season 8 feels like a lot of recycled material in retrospect. It's hitting a lot of the like greatest hits but like a cover version. It's like a cover band doing the greatest hits of the band it's you the actually sirens. like. The cover band called The Sirens. Yes! Do the, we? Sirens. the Sirens are putting on a concert and it's covers of the previous seasons and it's not very good. Oh, all the greatest hits. Uh, how, how is it that they that they snapped Damon out of it? Is that relevant to Sybil? Yeah, they're convinced because of Sybil that like they need to forgive Damon for the shit that he's done in order to snap him out of his guilt like foley uh well not foley at you it's just one foley at un. <laughs> i don't speak french but yeah they think that forgiveness will be the trigger almost in like a flipping your humanity switch sort of way it'll snap him out of this fugue but all that happens whatever damon i guess gets out what happens to sybil after that what does sybil do I know that elsewhere with the with Peter Maxwell and Matt the Donovan, Maxwells, yeah, Celine has explained to them that oh, once the bell is assembled, you got to ring it twelve times, and then that will open the portal to hell, which will spread hellfire through the town and kill everyone. Which she seems so gleeful about, very <laughs> excited like, about. Yeah, it. I want I want this town to burn to the ground with Sybil inside of it. I will be miles <laughs> yeah, away when this happens. Is, it's about Sybil, and she's willing to torch everyone. <laughs> And the thing is, the Maxwells, obviously, not something they would just do, but because she's working with Stefan, Stefan compels Matt to either forgive Damon. The the extra kick was, oh, you're going to kill all these people, Matt, but also when you do, their deaths will be on your hands, so you'll also go to hell. And then Matt was like, no, if you compel me to commit murder, I haven't done anything wrong, so that doesn't count. Right. And then Stefan was like, fine, I compel you to ring this bell if you can't find it in your soul to forgive Damon and apparently that will make you worthy of hell and I'm like I don't know if that's how morality works so the metric now of hell is that if you can't forgive someone who killed your sister you're the bad guy I guess if you can't forgive someone who killed your sister if that act of forgiveness would save an entire town from dying then you're a bad person Remember, remember, these are these are Cade's rules. Cade is not these a. These are Cade's rules. He's an unfair judge. I gotta say, uh. y'all thought the Abrahamic God was harsh. So yeah, she's suddenly evil again. It's like, yeah, ring this bell and kill everyone in town. Stefan compels Matt to do this, and I'm like, I don't know why he needed to. Couldn't Celine have done that herself? I guess she wanted to None have time to None of it makes sense, and it, it's all whatever. It really is all whatever. I, I, I honestly am like, fine. <laughs> Eventually, Matt realizes that, yeah, there's no way in hell I can forgive Damon for murdering Vicky. That's unrealistic. So I'm clearly going to ring this bell because of Stefan's compulsion. He says his father has to, like, kill him to stop him from doing it. Matt starts ringing the bell. The sound reverberates throughout the town. Sybil can feel it wherever she is i guess she she somehow deduces that the bell has been put together i'm being screwed over by the only other person who could possibly understand everything about how it works it must be celine <laughs> she heads off and as matt and peter struggle matt is almost gonna ring the bell for the 12th time and then damon who has left his fugue state shows up knocks matt out and stops him and because by the time matt wakes up it's past the little time frame that stefan had given him to ring the bell the rules of compulsion no longer apply, and he's fine. Uh, Damon sends the bell away with Peter. And then finally, Sybil and Celine <laughs> meet up in a diner again. <laughs> <laughs> the most insane of closing scenes. <laughs> 
both fairly annoyed at each other at the various ways in which they've deceived and backstabbed each other. Mm-hmm. But before um, they can really get into it, Kate appears in physical form. And I guess at this point, it's explained to us that despite all the influence Kate seems to have over the physical world, he couldn't really manifest before because he tells them that, oh yeah, the bell was rung 11 times. Not 12, enough to unleash the hellfire, but 11 was enough to unleash me. So I am here in the physical world, in the flesh. Ajafe-esque, <laughs> like, skinny walked through the ajar door. That's what happened. Before it could slip shut again, I just went, <laughs> let me just slip through here. <laughs> he pulled a Katsia, technically. They're so shocked to see him, it's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly, they're it's busy like, bickering, like, you did this to me and you crossed me and how could you do this and then he shows up and they're like (gasps) and they're like oh shit dad's home (laughs) dad's home and they haven't cleaned up mom's home and they haven't taken out the frozen chicken to defrost (laughs) it's all bad Kate tells his lackeys that he's basically over their shenanigans and he's gonna do it he's gonna do it himself he has his Thanos moment he's fine I'll do it myself and sitting there without moving a muscle he psychically sets them on fire and burns them uh. to death. <laughs> I guess because he gave them immortality, he can take it away. And that is the end of the Siren Sisters. That's it. They scream and burn away. <laughs> it's so insane. That's it. Where did it go? They didn't even get the goddamn bell back. What was <laughs> that? It feels like such a sudden end to a crazy storyline. I guess it's episode 10 and season 8 is the shortest of the seasons. It only has 16 episodes. So they were around for... Frankly, they lasted longer than they should have. They should have been out like in the first third by Vampire Diary standards. They should have been out in, what, five episodes, six episodes? They were they were around. A good, a good five eighths. It really felt like they were just out and about. There was no great movie. This is the thing, right? We've spoken about this before that like this final season is hell, the devil. (laughs) Like when you say it, it feels big. But when you see how it plays out, it's like, uh, what? (laughs) Yeah, it's just it's just a psychic man who has a realm where he firebends with his mind and tortures people based on his weird misplaced sense of morality and then he's got two sirens working for him who are just psychic women that swim like every couple hundred years psychic women who swam once (laughs) and like to sing (laughs) and they eat people but like they were doing that before they became sirens so is that really a siren thing or do they just like it i don't know yeah let's get into the sirenness of it all now that we're (laughs) now that we're done with it now that they're dead it's like what is a siren traditionally in greek myth traditionally bird woman hybrid who existed on this island i'm not sure which island it is is it specified in the story in different stories it's different islands i mentioned one was crete not crete sorry capri capri one is cape anthemus or anthemusa and some islands are just not named sometimes it's just islands you know but they're famous for being in the odyssey odysseus's story where they were known to use their beautiful singing voices to enchant sailors and lure their ships to their islands where they would crash and then be eaten by the sirens. Often in artwork, they're depicted as being quite similar to harpies. They're like either just big birds with women's heads 
or like some sort of a blend of like an avian and female human body. Sometimes they even have teeth inside their bird beaks. I'm not sure how the mechanics of that would work, but it, it looks cool. Well, you know, ducks and geese, they are real life birds that do have teeth. I'm talking about like huge chomper. That siren monster's <laughs> teeth, of yeah. course. Yes, yes. <laughs> but in myth, they're known from the Odyssey where Odysseus wanted to hear their music, but didn't want to die. So he told his crew to seal their own ears with wax, then tie him to the ship's mast so that he would be unable to move, but able to hear their beautiful song and his crew would be deaf and therefore not able to hear the song and he could just like pass by, hear it, and then I guess they'd untie him when they were done. Odysseus, the original white boy who will like descend into a cavern through the narrowest passage just to see what it's like. Like do the <laughs> riskiest shit that no like sane, self-respecting person would risk, just for the thrill. So sirens are an interesting creature, and over the years, because of their presence on an island and their association with water, because they lure sailors who are you know at sea and they crash on the shore, they have become conflated with mermaids, the aquatic, sort of semi-aquatic setting of their story, as well as the fact that their powers are based in their vocals, and mermaids are often associated with singing, much like the Little Mermaid. Um, who is known for her voice before she gives it up. So over the years, sirens have become conflated with mermaids, where essentially sometimes the word is just used to describe an evil mermaid who eats people, or an evil water-dwelling woman who eats people. I will say, because I looked it up, the aquatic aspect um, becomes kind of cemented in the medieval period, but it appears as early as like 3rd century BC. So there were some interpretations in the original like Greek texts that were like, yet for the reasons you're describing, sirens were aquatic in some interpretations. Ah, and yet when we get them in Mystic Falls, they're essentially not that. Sybil is initially in this little bath thing while Damon and Enzo are feeding her. I never once see Celine getting into water. <laughs> no. Embarrassing, frankly. How dare she call herself a siren? She can't swim. That's why she was stuck on the island. <laughs> <laughs> she actually couldn't get away. She was so happy when Sybil showed up. She was like, girl, I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> I'd love to know how Sybil's raft made it to the island, but it never occurred to either of them to like build a raft and try to leave the island. I just... <laughs> What? <laughs> they don't have trade skills. Peter Maxwell said, without artisans and tradesmen, you can't get anything done in town. They were, in fact, just eight-year-old little girls. That is fair. But the sirens we get in the series are just, like you said, they're essentially psychics whose power is focused by singing but not dependent on singing. They seemingly have a true form that's a bit grotesque. We glimpse Sybil looking a bit creepy until she's fed and gone back to her beautiful body. And at one point... In a, a little mini tantrum, one of the twins siphons off Sybil and her hand shifts into this like elongated set of clawed fingernails, <laughs> like like clawed, clawed long fingers. And I'm like, okay, maybe that was meant to look like a bird's talons. I don't know. But I don't think they were going for a remotely bird-like look. They were just like vaguely monstrous. Even though I'm the kind of person who if they'd made the sirens mermaid-like, I probably would have been like, actually, sirens are birds. <laughs> at the very least, at the very least, it would have shown like some effort to try and align with real world mythology on the writer's parts there are various origins for the sirens in mythology sometimes they're depicted as like daughters of a sea god sometimes they are daughters of like the primordial earth or like titans 
Um, my favorite depiction of sirens is that they were these, sometimes it's two girlies, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's as many as eight if you're going by the like muse origin, but they were these girlies, either humans or maybe like kind of nature spirits that were humanoid, but they were companions of Persephone, who is a Greek goddess, demigoddess, I can't remember. Goddess, she's, she is a goddess. Goddess, yeah. uh, daughter of Demeter, goddess of agriculture and harvest and maybe fertility. Greek gods do a number of different things, but Persephone most notably abducted by Hades in that story where she's abducted by Hades. And there's two versions, the first being Demeter, gives her companions wings so that they can fly around searching for Persephone and where she's been taken. And that's like the origin for Sirens. And the second version, which is more fun in my head because I like Demeter as like a messy bitch, but who's like just trying to do her best by her family. She curses Persephone's companions for failing to intervene when Hades uh, snatches her daughter. So that's like kind of the origin that I like. It's obviously not at all the origin in the show because the show isn't interested in textualizing Greek myth, which is a shame because there's a lot of interesting stuff there. I will say, despite how we've stressed throughout this, that like the Judeo-Christian devil and hell are just like not things that I think are in real life associated with the sirens. They are linked with death right? Sirens are. They sing a song to smash sailors on the rocks. They feed on them. Their whole like mechanism is sending all these people to their death prematurely. And there's almost this like psychopomp aspect to them. A psychopomp being uh, a creature in myth or in fairy tale or in legend that guides people to the afterlife. And so I think that's interesting that like historically, though they weren't like messengers of the devil or whatever, you can think of sirens and they speak about in the show like there's this ritual to them feeding on human flesh and sending off their soul to death. Like you can kind of view it that way as being linked to sirens of myth in real life. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess it's, it's, it's a show with a lot of characters who are linked. I mean, it's the Vampire Diaries, which centers on vampires. And we also run into ghosts and various undead creatures so there's there's a lot of death in the show and i just i i would have been keen to see a see a season focus on sirens completely unrelated to this judeo-christian devil stuff which is fine i wouldn't mind the judeo-christian devil stuff but just like not connected to the sirens they they just feel like two pieces that don't really fit together that, just that the writers fit. were like trying to force together like we've got the we've got the hell bell the hellfire bell and Cade, who's the devil, but also he's a psychic. And it's like, you clearly wanted to tell one story about psychic singers and then another story about singers. <laughs> and somehow you thought if you mixed them together... <laughs> it would be fine. It'd be fine. Even the way the story treats these women themselves, like they speak about how they were on the island with no food, God did not provide. And it's like, these ancient Greek Which girls believed god? in a single god? They were monotheistic? <laughs> were they? Most people in that ancient Greek period were polytheistic. Yes. They would specify my god or my goddess, this god or goddess. It's crazy that they're talking about this island that has no like food and is barren and has no is bearing no fruit. And these sirens who are again in this origin that I mentioned tied to Demeter, goddess of agriculture and harvest, that they didn't think to go, yeah, she would pray to Demeter. That's thematically interesting to fold in. No, God. God, the Judeo-Christian God, the singular man. What? 
<laughs> I don't know. That's what I'm saying with the whole the siren and the Greek aspect of it not tying into the devil, hell, Judeo-Christian aspect. I'm like, you could have taken something from that part of the world. There was a lot of interesting, fascinating mythology, not just from Judeo-Christian beliefs and Abrahamic beliefs, but also just from vaguely that part of the world, like the Near East, West Asia. Indo-European. Like, like if you'd gone there, there's there's all sorts of interesting things. And there are monotheistic religions there if you'd wanted to take it that, that way. I just, I don't see why you felt the need to be Greek when you'd already done Greek before, vaguely, with Silas and Amara. Maybe they saw angels in the source material and thought it was a step too far. And they were like, you know what would be crazy? Instead of four angels, we just do sirens. Same they thing. Really, they really should have just done the angel thing. I mean, Elena... Is it Elena? Someone becomes an angel in the book. Elena becomes an angel. She dies and she becomes an angel. And then she gets different sets of wings that give her different powers. It's interesting, if a bit cheesy. Yeah, it does seem cheesy. But I feel like they, they could have watered it down for the show. In the way that they watered down vampirism for the show. In the books, the vampires are very Dracula-esque. They can turn into animals or control animals. They can control the weather. They can't cross running water, which is a very old-fashioned vampire thing. Love it. One of my favorite vampire things. Buried Earth and Running Water is my favorite <laughs> aspects of vampirism. They just give me cool, like, primordial vibes. And all of that is done away with in the show. So if they had thought, okay, maybe being an angel is a bit too cheesy, maybe they could have even said, hey, let's full-on kill off Elena because Nina Dobrev wants to kill the show, bring her back as some sort of ethereal spirit. We don't need to use the word angel if we don't want to. Lord knows Divine in this being. show, they'd, they'd probably just call her like a messenger or something. Messenger's actually really good. <laughs> she's like, she's a messenger. messenger. With I mean, a capital that, M. Yeah, that, that's what angels are. I think the, the Hebrew word for angel is malak. Uh, the plural is malakim, which means messenger. The name Malachi means messenger of God. I love that. Okay. Road's not taken, man. Road's not taken. The road to Cade's dimension is paved <laughs> with good intentions. <laughs> oh, God. We can't top that. We have to close out. That has to be the final note. <laughs> well, that is it for the Sybil and Celine episode <laughs> featuring Arcadius. It was... I mean, it was bad, but it was fun at some points. It, it was, was fun. I it appreciated was so some of the high camp. Yeah, I have to say the the characters were not given really interesting things to do, but the way they were performed, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the acting itself. I enjoyed what the actors did, what they had. In a different storyline, maybe they could have been as fun as the likes of Kai and Catherine. Big up to Natalie Kelly, Kristen Gutowski, Wole Parks. You weren't given much, but you made it fine. <laughs> Thank you for leading us into the suite hereafter in probably one of mm, one of my least favorite seasons of the show. Not the least favorite. The least favorite is probably season five. Season five. It's oh, it's a close second to season five. But yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, that is it for this episode. If you have any questions or thoughts, you can email us at animalattackpod at gmail.com or you can tweet us at the handle at animattackpod, that's at A-N-I-M attackpod. You will find our link tree in the bio, which has all of our online stuff. And that's it from us. Goodbye. Cheers. Cheers.